Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. That's me. Good stuff. Today we're going to talk about something that we almost did before, kind of in a way. We did a podcast before called We Are Never Getting Back Together or else it was called All Broke Up About Bands, mm. who, who broke up for whatever reasons. But this one today is specifically about bands who either hate each other or fought to fucking tooth and nail all the way through their careers. Bands who have maybe still bad blood yeah. or else just at some stage for years. Some of these are all right with each other now, but Jesus, yeah. these are bands who fought each other. Like not Blur versus Oasis. I'm talking like fucking Fleetwood Mac versus Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. In, yeah. A, in our band Turmoil. Although we will not be doing Fleetwood Mac today because we've done that a billion times. We've exactly, done yeah. Oasis a few times. We've done a lot of them on that podcast. Never getting back together. Yeah. Only one have got back together since we did that. That was a, that was a bit a year ago. Mm, we did that. Mm. Rage Against the Machine got back together for the big dollars. Of course they did. Don't um, blame them. Did they play that gig? Obviously uh, not. I don't oh. think so. I think yeah. Oh. So it's probably not actually happened. Yeah. So they haven't <laughs> actually got back together. Yeah. So we're still hundred percent. Yeah. Record. Yeah. Exactly. Record is still strong. So today's one is called No Love Lost, mm. and um, it involves bands that have had massive, massive rows. Yeah. Uh, so, without further ado, adieu. Who is your first one? Uh, first one is the Ramones. Uh, the Ramones is a big one. It's one of the the earliest ones I remember. Uh, right. I picked I picked the song "The KKK Took My Baby Away" because it's actually about the fight um, when Joey Ramone was writing oh, I the pick, lyrics. I picked a few. Of the, I picked the, all my titles are to do with like sort of referencing this playlist. Mm. So I'm glad you did that as well. Nice. As, as, as often as I could. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the big fight in the Ramones was Joey versus Johnny, Joey Ramone versus Johnny Ramone. Yeah. And, um, th- this was pretty much like, it was there from the get go that, uh, Johnny Ramone was kind of the de facto leader of the Ramones. Um, yeah. He wrote, he wrote not most of the songs. I think he wrote like half the songs, and DJ wrote half the songs. And uh, Joey was kind of let loose lyrically, do what he want. The, mm. the, 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 there was a weird kind of power dynamic in the Ramones, where Tommy Ramone, the first drummer, he didn't want to be the drummer. Um, he was just a me, and yeah. uh, he couldn't really even play drums. He kind of banged around a little bit, but he 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 was the guy who knew all the moving parts of the Ramones. So he knew kind of independently. He knew Dee Dee, knew Johnny, knew uh, Joey, right. and um, he kind of said that all of them like so they'd all be kind of bumming around in these bands, like glam bands and pub bands. I was like, lads, you just need to like use it. I'll be great together. You should absolutely yeah. get together and make a fucking band. And uh, they said, all right, yeah, but like only if you're in it. And he was like, I don't want to be in a fucking band. I want to be a record producer. <laughs> so no you have to be the drummer in the band so like, fuck I'll be the drummer in the band for a while then get you going so he was he, the first couple of albums Tommy was the drummer and he held it all together but uh, Johnny the guitarist he was definitely like he was the fucking iron fist in the band he dictated where people sat in the van he dictated what time rehearsals were at what they ate where they went how much they could drink uh, the whole shebang he was the iron fucking fist in the band and yeah. uh, Joey was just kind of real shy a kind of awkward fucking fella like he, he was Joey Ramon was born with a thing called a teratoma which is this uh, spinal tumour and the spinal oh. tumour they, they contain like teeth and hair and bone it's almost like a fucking vestigial twin or something you know right. and that that was removed from him when he was a baby but he never really got over it so he was he wasn't like malformed but he was fucking odd you know what I mean? He was. He had a bad immune system as well. Yeah, exactly. That, I, that's one of the things that eventually led to his death. Um, I, I'll, I'll talk about that later on. Mm. 
Can I um, just quick jump in real quick and yeah. just embarrass myself a little yeah. bit? As a kid, yeah. I came in like very late with the Ramones. And mm. here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you two things. I thought they were all related. Yeah. I thought they were the Ramones. This is when I was very young. Yeah. I also thought that they were a made-up band like the Monkees. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Because I had just seen cartoons and movies and videos yeah, and sort of stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when I was, like, I just, whatever happened, I never heard early Ramones. Yeah. And then I actually started listening and was like, hang on, this is an actual, actual band. Yeah, an actual, an actual real band, like, yeah. And they're not, and they're not related. No, they're not related. They're related. The, um, the name comes from, Ramones' name comes from, they were all obsessed with the Beatles. They were all grew up and they were all fucking yeah. mad into the Beatles and then they were mad into Wings and that Lennon McCartney done. And that's um, what it did. Didn't they do movies and stuff? Yeah, they done loads of movies. Yeah, That's yeah. what it was. As a kid, I saw them on television and I thought they were a made-up band. They, they, yeah. But like, realistically, they're way more important. Like, obviously, the um, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they were in loads of bits and pieces and like I said, they, there was like little animated series. I don't think they had a cartoon per se, but there was definitely cartoony things with the Ramones in them and they yeah. had, there was comic books and shit like that. Um, they obviously done their rock and roll high school thing. Um, with, yeah. with like uh, Phil Spector and like there was like that's kind of where Johnny Ramone met his match was Phil Spector because every time he'd act the bollocks Phil would pull out a gun and hold it to him and yeah. say like you're not leaving right now Johnny like you're not in control of this situation and that's one yeah. of the things that, that it was fucking batshit mad but the name Ramones comes from uh, because we're all obsessed with the Beatles and Ramone was the name that Paul McCartney used to use when he checked at the hotels Wow, so he'd check in as like fucking something something Ramon or Ramon Ramon or you know Jorge Ramon or something Razor like that. Ramon exactly yeah so he'd always use the name Ramon when he checked into hotels saying to stay anonymous so they, they knew this and they were like fucking oh let's call ourselves the Ramones so they all start dressing they actually all dressed like Johnny Johnny is the one who dressed like that with the right. kind of uh, the motorcycle boots and the, the torn jeans and the leather jackets and Tommy who was like I said the guy who kind of held it, the, the whole thing together he was like, like this is a great look why don't we all wear this and we all yeah. take the Ramon second name and we just look like a gang. So um, oh, right. th- that's kind of, kind of where it came from. But um, yeah, this is a uh, Joey versus, versus Johnny. And it's, they, they pretty much didn't really talk to each other for 22 years. Like Johnny had this, Johnny was kind of a bully and Joey was real shy. And I was just, Oh, such a weird fucking thing. Like the whole thing started in, in, in high school that a band called Tangerine Puppets where um, Tommy and Johnny were just kind of messing around and they had this little band and then eventually they get introduced to um, to Joey and Dee Dee. I think they met Dee Dee. Dee Dee was like walking in a fucking uh, um, uh, a laundrette or something like that. Right. But Dee Dee had been working as like a male prostitute on the side and stuff like that before. <laughs> so he, he was a proper kind of street rat, a proper fucking urchin, like, you know. But uh, Tommy said he couldn't be in a band with Johnny anymore because Johnny was too volatile. He like, he'd burst some people open on stage and if anybody slagged him, he'd run down, belt him with his guitar. Um, <laughs> this, he had this famous guitar that everybody wants now called a Mossery guitar that go for fucking insane money now, but it was one of these things that he bought for like $50 in JC Pennies or something, you know, an absolute Argos catalog. They weren't really a great guitar or something probably, were they? Yeah, garbage. They looked fucking deadly. It was like an upside down strap with a weird head. It was deadly. There's, loads of, there's loads of stuff like that. Even the band Ghosts sell a lot of those Hagstrom guitars and they oh, are yeah. apparently like just decent guitars. Yeah, at best. At fucking best. Yeah. Um, but like I said, Joey was born with this fucking thing that it kind of affected him forever and he was bullied by his father and um, he was super shy to wear sunglasses day and night. Um, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenic and the doctor said he had mild brain damage as well. Jeez. And this eventually led to him having like extreme OCD, like extreme OCD. 
and uh, like he was one of these guys who had to like turn the lights on four times, you know. Yeah, and that's hard enough. Times. That's hard enough to do that on your own, but being in the band, exactly. Shit. And that used to drive Johnny fucking mad. Like the rest of the lads <laughs> didn't really give a shit, but it would fucking destroy Johnny. Johnny's like, get in the fucking van. Like you don't have to open and close the door four times. You know, this type of yeah. shit. He couldn't fucking deal with it anymore. Now, uh, Joey eventually ended up having like a long-term girlfriend. Some somehow, some way, some shape, he ended up with a fucking board, and uh, he was obsessed with this girl because obviously he'd spent his fucking youth. Did you did you say he did some of the writing? Yeah, he wrote lyrics and they, were, they all yeah. kind of done bits of the they writing. All, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Johnny and Dee Dee mostly done most of the writing, to be fair. And uh, but Joey was let kind of let loose with the lyrics. Yeah, and uh, oh, Dee Dee like Ramon's lyrics a lot. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Dee Dee would write lyrics as well. Um, Didi was kind of Didi was the one who had the most amount of interest in like outside we, we think we talked about it before where Didi went off he, mm. des- he decided he was he literally said I'm black and he went off and recorded a hip hop album oh, yeah. and that caused more than then in the Ramones because Johnny's like you're not fucking black like you're a Jewish lad from New York what the fuck are you talking about and he goes nah man I'm black like and I'm putting out a rap album <laughs> I think he called himself Didi King but uh, Joey ended up he, ha- he hadn't got himself a girlfriend and uh, he used to he used to bring her to the gigs, so he'd always have to make sure that there was space in the van. But like John Johnny would make sure that um, he, he kind of designated where everybody sat in the van. So he'd say like, <laughs> so like Joey, you're up front with me, but your girl has to sit in the back. And Joey's like, no, but I want to sit beside my girlfriend. And he's like, no, like you're not coming then because she has to sit in the back. And he just do this to be a prick, you know, just to annoy yeah. him. And eventually, over Although time, it could also it could also be a good thing in the sense that he's still part of the band not just going off into a separate little relationship like he's like yeah you can bring your girlfriend but like she has to be hanging out with us and you have to be hanging out with us separately yeah I, I, I think be that or, I, or he could have just been a prick I think he was just being a fucking prick like I said they, they rarely like spoke apparently like everybody in the band only really spoke about the band nobody talked about what the fuck was going on in their life or whatever you know there was none of that kind of yeah. brother, brotherly love or fucking band love there was none of that kind of shit but eventually over time Johnny kind of took a liking to Joby's girlfriend he started moving her closer to him up the front up to the driver's seat you know and um, apparently they had like this fucking um, had a relationship behind Joby's back for ages ages and ages and ages and they ended up mm-hmm. they ended up like running off getting married Jesus. like yeah, so poor Joby's kind of left in the fucking... Spiritualised uh, situation with Richard Ashcroft. Exactly, exactly. So um, they end up getting married. So uh, Joey wrote this song, The KKK Took My Baby Away, about Johnny Ramon stealing his girlfriend. That's what this oh. song is about. <laughs> now, it gets fucking weird, right? So Joey eventually dies of cancer, right? But how he dies of cancer is kind of fucking weird. Because he had such mad OCD, apparently he woke up in the middle of the night and he remembered that he like forgot to close a door in the recording studio a certain amount of times. Right. So he got up, got dressed, and started walking down the road, but it was winter in New York City, and he slipped on ice and broke his hip. Right. And uh, the hip recovered, but then he fell again, if I remember. He fell again and injured that part of the leg, and whenever it happened, he got one of these kind of subdermal hematomas that eventually kind of torn into cancer, and that eventually killed him. Um, Johnny didn't go to the uh, funeral. He was. Oh, he wouldn't right. go to the funeral. When asked about it, he said, "Like he, well, he he wouldn't go to fucking mine." So we would have bought him home. Uh, that's that's, that's yeah. weird. That's a weird argument. You can never, uh, never fully 
you can never uh, prove yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they, they, they just hated each other. Apparently, there was one night where uh, Johnny Ramon got hopped outside the club and got the shit kicked out of him, and he had to have brain surgery to relieve like pressure on his head. And when mm. Joey was told that Johnny had to go in and get brain surgery and that he might not come out, apparently he was dancing. He danced around the fucking recording studio. He was like, "Oh, I fucking hope to God he never fucking wakes up." All this kind of shit. I know uh, people like that. That are da. Oh yeah. Boyfriend yeah. better. Like yeah. like. Uh, I, I can be a spiteful bit, but someone's dying now. That's, yeah. That's her off. Exactly. Uh, DD uh, overdosed um, on heroin. He, he was always kind of back and forward um, on, on fucking heroin, getting clean and getting back on it. Um, the lads pretty much let DD do whatever the fuck he wants because apparently, like, DD could literally, you could, you could shoot him three times and he'd still get up on stage and play and be perfect. <laughs> yeah. He was just one of those bulletproof blokes. So, like, it didn't bother Johnny in the slightest that, like, Apparently his his quote unquote mate um was like banging up heroin and fucking ODing all the time and having relapses. He didn't give a shit. As long as Dee showed up to the gigs and played, he didn't give a fuck. Like yeah. that's how much of an iron fist it was. The same way with Joey, like he wouldn't let Joey away with fucking, you know, having to go up and down the stairs four times or open the door, turn the lights off. He'd always just he'd be slagging him, calling him a retard, calling him a fucking like every name under the sun, just constantly belittling and slagging Joey. And Joey kind of had very little to give back. He was just too shy. Mm. Um, he was just this quiet, shy about wanting, like liked being a rock and roll star. And that was all he really wanted to deal with his, with his life. Uh, Johnny, uh, Tommy dies of cancer. Johnny dies of cancer. Um, cancer is just the main thing in the Ramones. He, uh, there's, a, there's a solid chance that if Dee Dee didn't die of fucking OD, he probably would have got cancer and died as well. Or else he'd still be alive running around. Tommy was actually... Tommy played a gig. He had a bluegrass group with his wife, and uh, they played in Wheelands um, a couple of years ago. I think a year before he died. Um, so he he kind of kept in the music. He stayed on even after he left as drummer. They brought Marky Ramon in instead. He kind of picked his own replacement, brought him in, and he stayed on as a producer for a, for a while. Uh, when Johnny died, um, <clears throat> he was they were they did a final Ramones concert in was it ninety six or something like that. Done like a farewell concert. And uh, at the minute, at the minute the show was over, like every no word said to each other, walked away. That was fucking. Yeah. Um, Johnny died of cancer. Johnny paid for um, a giant bronze statue of himself on his grave um, in the Hollywood Cemetery. Um, he had moved to Los Angeles, but when, when when quizzed about like getting doing a reunion, he was like, apparently at the start he was like, I never, I I'd never want to see Joey Ramone again. I have no interest in being in a room with him, let alone being in a band with him. And then apparently he kind of softened um, a couple of years before he died. He was like, maybe, you know, maybe we do a reunion. But then Joey died. And right. uh, so Joey died before Johnny. And uh, he, apparently he was, he had said that like he'd never going to play music ever again. He's, he was done. Um, because like Ramones was his band and Joey was his singer. And without Joey, there's no point in playing music again. So like he kind of made up for it. In his, as he got older and kind of mellowed out a little bit, I think he realised that he was fucking. He'd made a bollocks. Yeah, that happens. It, that happens. That's going to happen a little bit during this playlist. We'll see. Yeah, that. yeah. And so I always, I always felt bad for fucking Joey Ramone. You know, he's one of the like yeah, the, 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 the biggest names in, in in punk rock and one of the biggest names in music in general. And he's fucking had a terrible life and a terrible like like Johnny was bullied by his dad as well. Like he kind of mm. just took those attributes on. It's you know, yeah. it's a fucking. It's a sure. self-fulfilling prophecy. And anyway, that was uh, Ramones. KKK took my baby away. Who was your first one? My first one is the Eagles. All right. Um, so a lot of people will know that the two main honchos 
of the Eagles are Glenn Frey and Don Henley. But there's other members of the band that um, hmm. I was find that a lot as well again in this playlist that there's other members who are not part of that brilliant duo mm. in a band and, and have to suffer the consequences or else maybe cause them. We'll find out a little bit more anyway. I'm only going to go from Hotel California onwards because that's really only when the trouble starts. Yeah. Um, before that, um, guitarist Bernie Leiden had just left be, uh, to be replaced by Joe Walsh. I, I like mm. Joe Walsh a lot. I think everyone does. Because uh, the band were moving away from that Eagles country sound and into more hard rock. Yeah. Eventually stadium rock. It wasn't his bag. Uh, after... They had an argument about the direction. He poured a can of beer over Glenn Frey's head, and mm. that was the end of that. So Joe Welch, Joe Welch stepped in for uh, Hotel California. But the next out was one of the founding members, uh, the bassist, Randy Meisner, uh, who has been struggling really badly with uh, stomach ulcers. And to mm. stop them hitting the high note on Take It to the Limit, and that's his song. You know, a lot of the, yeah. the Eagles had their own song. Yeah, yeah. And like that they'd sing. So stopped him hitting the high note. So at one gig... I think it was in Knoxville. He was just in too much pain and he had the flu as well from the night before. Mm. Uh, st- couldn't sleep. Uh, he just, at the end, they were supposed to, I think they were supposed to finish on Take It to the Limit, which is actually a fucking banger. I yeah. love that song. Uh, and he just went, no, not doing it and they walked off stage. So him and Glenn Frey started boxing the head off each other backstage. So then Randy Meisner frozen out of the band because you don't get into a fight with Glenn Frey of yeah. the Eagles and stay in the band. Two years before Hotel California came out, a guitarist, Don Felder, had uh, come into the band. Don Felder's a fucking great guitarist. Mm. Uh, and he was had been in the band, I think, with Joe Walls before. And so we obviously got the heads up from him. Um, he continued to have a lot of trouble with, have a guess which member of the Eagles? <laughs> Glenn Frey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he fought with the whole band, actually, when he didn't get to sing the song Victim of Love which uh, he wrote the music to and was told he was told you'll definitely get to sing it but uh, he, he kept trying it and he, he couldn't get it for whatever reason mm. so the uh, manager went look it, let's go out for food and, and the lads will move on to a different song and while they were out having a meal Don Henley wiped all his tracks and sang it <laughs> yeah Oof. that's fucking tough so uh, the the breakup of the Eagles happened in 1980 yeah, this is in Long Beach, California. I think they were doing uh, some sort of fucking a, a Ponzi private gig for a California center or fundraiser. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was, and uh, animosity between like Don Felder and Glenn Frey before the show was real bad because like, he just didn't. He does not into this kind of thing. I don't think as well. It's not rock and roll enough. Felder was a good kind of rock and roll guy, yeah, as well as Joe Walsh. But um, before the gig. The, the senator, Alan Cranston's his name, him and his wife were, were thanking the band uh, for doing it. And uh, Don Felder said, yeah, like, whatever. You're welcome, I guess. Mm. And then that, Glenn Frey was really embarrassed by that. He was like, shit, you know I mean? like, can't do that. So on stage, for the entire gig, between every song, they would walk up to each other and say, oh, fucking batter you after this. Batter you. <laughs> And apparently, like this, this is this is all like every song they walk over. Go, I swear to God, yeah. straight murder. Yeah, oh, you and me back there. You're you're fucking dead. Yeah, and uh, and the last the last thing, which was I think one of the last songs they were playing was "Best of My Love." Mm. Frey uh, walked over to me and said, "This is it. This is when it's gonna fuck right after this. Is gonna fucking walk off the stage. Mm. I'm gonna kick your ass." So Felder did a kind of weird thing. He had his guitar tech 
put his tack of mine. I think Felder was shitting himself. Yeah. I think because he got his, it's supposedly, this is the story, mm. he got his guitar tech to leave his tack of mine guitar just off the stage. So when the show ended, Felder walked up, picked his tack of mine up and smashed it off a wall. Yeah. Like as in, that could fucking, mm. that could be you trying to, yeah, like, I reckon he did it to like, do that instead of fight. fight Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, uh, hold Glenn, me back, hold me yeah. back. Yeah. Glenn Frey reckons he did and he says to me, he goes, I know you did that and I know why you did it. Mm. And it, and I know, and do you know how I know? Because that's your cheapest guitar. Yeah. That's why, that's why you did it. <laughs> it your cheapest guitar. So yeah. I felt her jump in the limo and drove away. Uh, then the bass is, the, the, the bass then, Timothy B. Schmidt calls them the next day and was like, what's the story of the band? They were like, yeah, band's over, band's over, it's gone. They got back together in 1994. This is, this. everyone knows the story. It's kind of very clever quip. Don Henley said, when he was asked with the Beatles, or Mm. the the Eagles ever uh, play together again, he said, Hell Freeze is over. So they named the band, or named the the album, Hell Freeze is over. It's a live album. It's got a couple of songs on it. It's got a, the song that I chose, Get Over It. Yeah. Because, yeah, whatever. Um, into, things were going all right f- mm. between 94 and 2001. So that's like about seven years or something like that. Yeah. Right? Seven years. Uh, Felder accused Don Henley and uh, Glenn Frey of taking a higher percentage. Um, they, they always took the same, but he was like, no, I know you're taking more. Mm. So uh, they went, well, how about this? You're fired from the band, so now you have none. Yeah, how about them none, apples? None, yeah. none percentage. Yeah. Well, presumably percentages from what he's yeah. done. Live and stuff like that. So uh, Felder sued them, settled out of court on the basis that they wouldn't talk about it again. But then Felder went, no, I'm going to talk about it in my book. Uh, Glenn Frey obviously died in 2006. And Felder, Felder, Don Felder said that he felt an unbelievable sorrow that they'd never um, resolved their issues. And yeah. the Eagles said then, well, they, we can't continue on without Glenn Frey. That's, yeah. that's too, too big of one. But they got Deacon Frey, his son, in to play guitar. So that's who we will be playing with the Eagles from now on. Um, Yeah, that's a kind of weird one. There was a few of them that Glenn Frey, I'd say, might have been a fucking tough one to go on. Him and Don Henley never had a real... It's kind of like a lot of bands have these two... Just two personalities that clash, yeah. And they they probably... No, like the two, two people that get on and the rest of them are sort of stuck... Not getting on, and I think they're mm. always the two that get paid the most. Probably, and they're a little bit like yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the Eagles. There was mm-hmm. uh, smashing of guitars, fist fights, beer over the head, and yeah. lawsuits. Yeah. In a, in a short, there's much more than that. But look, we're on a fucking we're on a podcast. Exactly. Who's your next one? Uh, my next one is the Beach Boys, which is an infamous one, and it's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, Brian Wilson versus Mike Love, yeah, and just uh, listen. I'm gonna have to. That's just, that. That's similar enough to the fucking pretty much is. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, there's been multiple books written about this. So, I'm gonna give like the absolute skin of the story. All right, or else we, we this will be a four hour fucking podcast. Yeah. So okay. this is it has to be like a very uh, compact version of a complex story. So basically, fucking Brian Wilson was tired of doing source songs. He was like, lads, we need to push the envelope forward here. There's only so many bleeding good vibrations and I get around that we can do <laughs> yeah. before people are bored. Like people are people are already stopping the stopping the fucking surf. You know what I mean? We, and we I, I think at the time he was writing good songs. Oh, yeah, yeah, what, exactly. Can we can we do this? Like <laughs> Exactly. 
So, uh, Mike Love was like, don't fuck with the formula, man. This is madness. Like, we, we all have like multiple houses and fucking deadly cars and shit and we're touring, yeah. having the best life imaginable. Why would you mess with the formula? So, the whole dynamic in, the dynamic in the Beach Boys seems to be very fucking like complex. Like, mm. Brian Wilson was a fucking touched by a bleeding angel he wasn't the full Absolutely, he, he yeah. was not dealing like playing with the full deck and um, we've covered that before but he was playing with a bit more of a deck but a different type of yeah card. he definitely was yeah people are playing fucking snap and he's playing some, fucking mahjong or something with cards he's just doing his own thing and it makes sense to him and it makes sense to people who um are kind of progressive enough circling the band who were like jesus oh, it Christ, worked it worked with all the uh, sesame musicians they were like dude this is exactly so this is bananas exactly so what happened was they said just to show fucking wilson up let's give him a fucking album so they mm. gave him pet sounds and <sighs> off he goes and makes like fucking one of the greatest albums ever made and the rest mm. of the band are essentially not really involved in it yeah. uh, wilson brings in session musicians he brings the lads in to sing but he makes them do mad shit like lie down on the floor and hangs microphones <laughs> over them and starts swinging it back and forward starts doing mad shit and they're like well, come on we not just talk about going fucking surf in the usa so normal weren't they like, exactly they were, the rest of them were so normal just normal now eventually none of them ended up Perf- fucking normal apart from the gargle yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um so it turns out that like pet sound becomes like literally one of the greatest fucking um one of the greatest albums ever eventually made. I think I think it was slighted at, at the start nobody knew what to do with it it, yeah. it, it was such like they, I think people were saying like this is this is really good but like this is not the Beach Boys what are we going to yeah. do what are we going to do with this um, so after this um, Mike <laughs> Jesus Christ Mike sues Wilson for like some missing royalties and shit like that right mm-hmm. because he said that he had written some lyrics for pet sounds and he'd written some lyrics for some of the older songs and he wasn't it just wasn't working out so brian instead of like eventually eventually years and years later there's going to be a massive court case and i mean a massive court case that drags its fucking hole right mm-hmm. but while it, it all this, these troubles are starting to brew uh Brian just kind of backs off the Beach Boys. He's like, I'm going to stay in the Beach Boys. I'll do whatever the fuck you want. Like, let's just, let's just fucking, whatever. Let's just be the Beach Boys again. So after Pet Sounds, they release a, a bunch of albums that are, they, they kind of somewhere between Pet Sounds and traditional stuff where uh, like Dennis is doing more, Mike Love is doing more. Like it, it's so, the, the guys kind of want to move out from underneath Brian's shadow now because everybody's talking about Brian Wilson and Brian starts talking a couple of years later he's talking about making smile and if that had it came out when it was supposed to come out maybe things would have been completely different but it takes fucking yeah. it took too long to come out and when it did come out there was fucking murder because if you remember they gave away like half of that album on the front of like the Daily Mail or something like that I and remember, then, it's just been too taking too long now just Great stuff on it from what I yeah, remember. Yeah, I, t- I think it was like 30 years or something I took fucking to mm. make the album. But like they gave out most, I think maybe half of the album on a CD on the cover of The Mail on Sunday. Right. And uh, once that came out, like Mike Love just fucking rears his head again. As- essentially, every time something happens, Mike Love jumps up with a, lo- with a lawsuit. That's kind of his, his gig. He's just lawsuit, right. lawsuit, lawsuit. I'm out money and whenever you make money, exactly. I'm going to be there. Make exactly. Money. So, um, he he ends up suing the the mail on Sunday because they used a picture of him, and um, because they used a picture of the Beach Boys, and uh, it says the Beach Boys, which he owns the copyright uh-huh. to. He ended up winning that in court, and um, he won the rights to kind of perform as the Beach Boys. The rest of the like half of them now were fucking dead. <laughs> uh, Dennis died. Um, 
Dennis Wilson died fucking mentally. He uh, he was on drugs and he remembered, he was walking by a river and he remembered like four or five years ago, he threw a lot of stuff in this river and he was so mm. high on drugs, he climbed into the river to find the stuff he threw in there three or four years ago and died. Yeah, that's right. um, like that's mad, right. mad shit. <laughs> but anyway, years, cut to years later, after uh, the Beach Boys inevitably kind of disband and just explode, where nobody really in the band kind of gives a fuck. Like uh, Al Jardine starts, like um, Mike Love versus Jardine, and like the whole thing is just Mike Love versus fucking everybody. <laughs> Mike Love wants to keep going, right? And all the rest of them are over it or dead. Maybe that was his tentative link, constantly suing them so he'd get to see them. Maybe, maybe. But apparently, yeah. it, it seems like every single time something happens, um, in the Beach Boys world, it's because Mike Love is being a baddie, right? Now, there's been, again, Love has written books about this where he he has a lot more facts and details in his book than anybody else involved well, in the Beach do, Boys. It would do if you're litigious. No, exactly. I, I know. <laughs> but, but he was, um, apparently, like, he wasn't really into the whole, like, all the, the Wilson Wilson brothers were, like, mad into drugs and gargle, and he was like, you know, I don't mind smoking a joint every now and again having a can of beer, but, like, these cunts are fucking bananas. So he wanted to try and keep things on track, you know. So a couple of years later, they have this bananas fucking um, lawsuit. And all Mike, all Mike Love wants, Mike Love wants $750,000. He's like, I want $750,000 for back royalties, for like lyrics that I had done. Seemed that much, but what year is that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is the, oh Jesus, the late 90s. Still not that much. He apparently not be in the, like the fucking Beach Boys coffers? Well, apparently, Wilson, Brian Wilson had just won a lawsuit and had been given 10 million by like the oh, record label, right? So the minute that happened, Love sticks his head up and he's like, I want 750K. But Wilson, Wilson at this stage is in fucking space, right? Yeah. He hasn't a clue what's going on on any given day. Like he, his doctor has to come in. The, the, this lawsuit goes on for, for fucking so long because every, every second day, Wilson's doctor walks in and goes, no, he, uh, like, he thinks he's fighting aliens in space today. He can't come into, he can't come into the court. Or was he his doesn't doctor know. or his manager who was a scumbag? His manager. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his fucking name? His name stupid. is Maynard. Or so I can't remember his fucking name. It's like a second name. It was his first name. I can't remember. Yeah. And he was a scumbag. But he also had this like psychiatrist called, I think it was Lanyard was her name, or Lambert, and uh, she had like, all the, it was almost like a cult that he was in as well, and uh, they weren't really involved in the car case, he had this like doctor, but the doctor would come in and say like, now Brian can, he can testify today, and they'd bring Brian in and they put a keyboard in front of him and he had to like play all these old songs, and it was fine, he'd just pull him out and like, there we stay, oh, could be California girls, because apparently, where does it come from was, David Lee Roth had done California Girls, and Mike Lowe had written some lyrics for California Girls, if I remember correctly. And yeah. he had also, he like, he had changed one or two words in songs. Like, he'd literally, like, instead of like, I get about, he said like, no, I get around. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, that, like one word changes, but they were kind of important in the long term. So, he, Brian Wilson's solicitors were like, no, don't give that cunt 750k. Like, no, we'll take this to court and we'll win. We'll take this to court and we will fucking win. And Brian Wilson's like, ah, like ice cream. Arr, I just want to watch fucking. Apparently, he watched like eight hours of television a day. He just gets up in the morning and starts eating like Pop Tarts and ice cream, watching television. And then they wheel him off to the studio. He 
does a couple of hours in there and then he goes back and he watches TV. He's just obsessed with watching television and eating, mm. junk, eating junk food. So he didn't really want to go to court. He didn't understand why he was in court. This was just his circle around him or making him do all this. This is what is, well, the, uh, fucking, I just remember Eugene Landy, that's your man's name. That's it, uh, Landy, yeah. And, and that was his psychiatrist. Wasn't he keeping him, like he wasn't, Ron Wilson wasn't that mentally ill. He no, was they just, kept giving him mad shit. That he mad was on, shit, He yeah. was on like 12 different medications a day and the main one was, was lithium just to keep him fucking stable. But they were giving him so much other stuff it was fucking with the lithium. Yeah. So he would literally spend days like not knowing where he was, who he was. We, we covered a bit of this before. He didn't even yeah. know his own children, you know? Um, he yeah. hadn't a clue what was going on. It was like one of the days of the, the court, like he full on didn't even remember that he was in the Beach Boys. He was like, oh, really? I like those songs. Like, I want to go and see them one day. You know, all this kind of shit. Great, yeah. yeah, like he hadn't, they were showing him pictures of him and he was like, who's that? And apparently he didn't, he didn't like seeing pictures of like his father and stuff like that. They had all these pictures blowing up. Yeah, in the that court. was a bit of a dick. Yeah. yeah, he didn't like seeing them. So he'd actually react like a child, like a beaten child. And um, when he saw these in court and shit, you know, they had to, they had to move them or move him and all this kind of mm. stuff. Well, Michael, Love's being very, like you said, uh, kind of litigious and, and he's very factual. And he, he ended up winning and he ended up getting three million. And apparently, what had happened was so the 10 million that Brian Wilson had got, um, he ended up getting th- uh, three million to Mike Love. It cost him uh, three million in uh, solicitor's fees and he had to pay Mike Love's fees as well. So that 10 million was just gone, like overnight, you know what I mean? Um, when the when the car, car case was over, so uh, the, the ten million just uh, puff into fucking obscurity. Um, but he ended up like Mike. <laughs> like, Mike sued Brian Wilson about his autobiography as well. Like, of course he did. Um, and he he won a million and a half. Um, he won a million and a half over uh, because he, he uh, apparently I haven't read it now. But apparently Wilson's biography, which obviously he didn't write. Um, was ghost written or whatever or put together from stories yeah. it's just absolutely like uh, and then we went there and done this and uh, and then uh, it was it was the year 2000 do you know what I mean well Michael was like on the 6th of January at 11 o'clock in the morning we went to a McDonald's and I had uh, a McRib sandwich and I only had half of it and I had two subs of my Toya Coke he knew everything he had everything mm. worked out and everything remembered and everything written down. Well, uh, Brian's was just this mishmash of madness. But yeah, something was said in Brian's autobiography uh, that Mike took exception to, sued him, got a million and a half. Um, he sued Al Jardine, who'd been touring under the name of Al Jardine of the Beach Boys. Um, he sued him and won. Uh, Which like he was? A, yeah, exactly. Which he was. He <laughs> sued him. Because in, in um, 1998, uh, Mike Love was granted a license to tour yeah, you, you as the Beach Boys. I suppose, but you say you think you'd say of the Beach Boys would let you away with it, but yeah, yeah, because yeah. apparently Love and Jared, I think, had done something um, beforehand. But like, or, 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 even I remember if you go back like 15, 20 fucking years ago, they used to be like twice a year you'd see like the Beach Boys performing in Butlins. You know what I mean? Or they'd be performing in, in the fucking NEC fucking theater in Colonia, whatever it is. They'd be playing yeah. the, the Red Cow in. You know, I was like, the Beach Boys, like, for really? And it's just Mike Love and whoever the fuck else he had floating around. At one yeah. stage, he had one actual guy who was in the Beach Boys or one of the secondary guys who came in. Um, but yeah, he ended up seeing the Mail on Sunday uh, because they were giving away a bit of the, the Smile album and it had reference to the Beach Boys and picture of him. Um, so he, Love was after kind of, Love was mostly after Brian Wilson, it seems, because he, he didn't like being in the shadow of Wilton. He fought tooth and nail mm. to, to, to 
to um to stay the actual Beach Boys as opposed to like Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is kind of what it became. Became and even uh, like the, the song I picked, I picked uh, what did I pick? Kokomo, and um, which is a Mike Love song. 100 percent wrote it <laughs> the whole the whole that's his song and apparently like uh brian wilson uh, the car case didn't even know didn't even know that like that was a beach boy song that had been released and um i think he played on it as well and he was like he heard it and he was like that's a really old song like and apparently one day he got into um i think they were talking about kokomo being a fucking uh an island off malibu or wherever the fucking hell it was apparently wilson was that fucked he got in a taxi one day and asked to go to kokomo which is just this fictional place that mike love invented which is like we drink pina coladas out of coconuts and go surfing every day yeah. but it's just the bullshit narnia land of surf that mike love uh, pulled out his hole <coughs> and uh brian wilson was like got in a taxi he's like bring me the kokomo that sounds fucking amazing like, that's where i want to go that's where i want to be that's how fucked he was but yeah it seems like mike love just just had a general dislike for brian wilson being really really good at his job and kind of taken the uprooting the beach boys from what they were supposed to be and he kind of kept mm-hmm. that up now they got they they did get back together again. There was a couple of uh, Beach Boys reunion tours with like like as many of the fucking originals as as humanly possible. So it does seem like they can put that aside. It just looks like Mike Love is mad for pulling the guns out on a, on a good sewing session. Like yeah, it, nobody is allowed any any room to fuck with the Beach Boys. That's his baby. That's his fucking baby now. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I could say I, I'd love to find out what he really thinks of. Of Brian Wilson, probably. I'm just trying to read it up because I think that this is. I think maybe there might be a part of it where they're thinking, right? These people are suing people on behalf of Brian Wilson, and that mm. cunt's not even seeing half of that or whatever. So oh, yeah, I'm yeah. not some of that. Oh yeah, so I maybe think that's the, part of it as well. Almost certainly, there's a degree of that because I know yeah. that. Um, I know that Wilson has Wilson has said like he doesn't harbor any. Like at the start, he was annoyed by fucking by love, but then like Wilson being Wilson, like he'd forget that he was annoyed by love. And then yeah. think that he's his fucking mate again. You know, doesn't be coming yeah. back again or whatever. Like he, he kind of jumped between literally love and hate with Mike Love, but Mike Love just kept up this fucking, this kind of fucking like ignorance on beh- on behalf of himself against the, the Beach Boys. It was like it's if it's not me, obsession. but yeah. then again, he could be just like if there's any money being made with anything to do with the Beach Boys, I want some of it. Oh yeah, yeah, almost certainly that that's the way it goes. Anyway, that's the Beach Boys with Kokomo, uh, Brian Wilson versus Mike Love. Who's your next one? Uh, I had to go with the Kinks. Yeah, the Kinks, as a lot of people may or may not know, the two brothers Ray Davies and Dave Davies, have uh, been fighting since they were fucking kids. Yeah, I suppose really never stopped since they were kids um, Ray Davies had a really fucking awful like experience actually both of them did but mainly Ray on mm. his birthday his sister gave him his very first guitar mm. and then she died that day <sighs> so maybe one wonder some of the part of it going like I will be even though he Dave Davies was actually the guitarist mm. you know Ray Davies was the rhythm guitarist but you know we talk about rhythm and lead the both of them are fucking fantastic but um it kind of started from a childhood when uh, Dave, the younger, Dave's the younger one, as far as I know. Yeah, he is. Dave's the younger one. Uh, he remembers they were mess fighting. Mm. And uh, he hit Ray. He actually connected like and hit him. Mm. And he fell on the floor. And uh, Ray was out cold, or he thought he was out cold. Mm. And uh, Dave leaned over and was like, shit, I'm sorry, are you all right? And Ray was grand, opened the eyes and battered him around the room. <laughs> and he said, he said, since that, he felt this real weird thing 
with, with his brother because he was like, it was an accident. I felt bad about it and mm. you knew I did and I also was concerned and then you just battered me. I think some, stuff like that can stay with you for a very long time. Oh, yeah. But um, they had a dr- This is not just the two lads as well. Uh, they had a drummer, Mick Avery. That's a great drummer. Um, punched Dave Davies so hard that the, the, is, is it, well, you don't have to punch someone that hard in the nose to mm. make them give him two black eyes, but he did anyway. So uh, Dave Davies is playing the gig with the sunglasses on and he's like still in his head like, fuck that cunt, man. <laughs> fuck that drummer. So he turns around and he goes, do you know what? You'd be better playing the drums with your dick the way you were playing tonight. Mm. <laughs> and the drummer Avery threw a, f- drum, a pedal at his head, <laughs> knocking him out, 16 stitches. Oof. Avery thought he'd killed him because that blood, like that amount yeah. of blood was dead. Legged it, ran away from the gig. Uh, they all kind of got them back together and uh, he had to tell the police that, no, this is uh, what the kinks do as a joke. We throw uh, musical instruments at each other. Mm. Like just to, so the tour could continue basically. Yeah, yeah. But um, the fighting got so bad on stage that they had a four-year ban of the USA oh, performing. Okay. Yeah. Around a little bit after this, I think Rave Davies' wife uh, left him with the kids yeah. and he tried to kill himself on stage, I think, Ooh. over... He, either before he got on stage or... or you try to overdose on stage. This is where they don't quite hate each other. They don't like each other. But Dave uh, Dave Davies took him on holiday. He became very protective of his brother because he knew he was having an absolute mental breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, through all this. Um, the ba- the bassist, the original Kinks bassist, Peter Quaif, has said that they would fight over literally anything. Literally like anything. Yeah, yeah. You can na- <laughs> just for the sake of fighting, yeah. the two of them would go absolutely at it. So it must have been really tough. And then coming towards the end of the eighties, the mid eighties, and towards the end, the Kinks were not popular. We forget these these decades mm. where huge bands have a real downturn. Like in your head, you think that never happened. Like, the more you think about it, like, fuck yeah. They're not the Stones. They weren't the Beatles. They were the Kinks. So they were obviously on the little bit on the outside, not Pink Floyd. Those would never have, they would have periods where they wouldn't release popular albums. Yeah, yeah. But the Kinks were bashing out albums, awful albums. Yeah. We talked about that before, I think as well. Yeah. Um, so their decline was really bad. That didn't help. And then their popularity kind of grew up, blew up again in the 90s because of Britpop and all their stuff was fitting yeah, yeah. perfectly with that. But then when Britpop died, the band split up. So the Kings actually only split up in the 90s, mm. which is mad. They fought with each other in the press all the time. I remember even at the time Ray Davies said this, Dave Davies said this about the yeah, old. Yeah. Ray Davies even admitted, he goes, oh, look, I'm not an easy person to work with. So I reckon th- they were just so different, the two of them. Mm. I think this has... Speaking about Britpop, it has echoes of Oasis. Like the oh, two yeah, yeah. different the two, two brothers. brothers who were battling yeah. each other for years, but they were like That's yeah. all they know, like. Yeah. So in the like broken up in, in the late nineties, but in two thousand and four, Ray Davies was shot in the leg in New Orleans mm. after he chased muggers. Uh weirdly the New Orleans police chief said uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry about what happened to Mr. Davies, but he showed very poor judgment in running after the individuals. I'm like, Well, Mm. Well, well done interesting that, that that's that's the police for you you shouldn't have done that no, obviously he shouldn't have gone after muggers but he did in the same year Dave Davies who was 57 at the time uh, mm. had a stroke in London while he was getting off a lift and that made him unable to play for a very long time and Ray moved in with him to help him you might remember earlier on yeah, yeah. 
Dave helped him out when he had the breakdown. Ray moved in to help him with the stroke and eventually get his kind of playing back somewhat. Still mm. not in the band together, mind you. Yeah. Um, but after the, be- the death of the bassist, Peter Quayford was talking about earlier, they started to toy with the idea of a reunion. And, uh, but in 2013, they met at Ray's house and they were writing songs together. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm. Writing a couple of songs together. And it, they literally broke up again because they had an argument over who was the most important person in the song You Really Got Me. One of them had written it, but the other one had said, how about I cut the speaker cone mm. to get that effect? And it was like, yeah. But I wrote the song. Mm. Like, why did they even, why were they even talking about this when they were trying to write some stuff? Yeah. So Pedantic they, shite, like. Yeah, knocked that on the head. After that big reel, more stuff in the press. Mm. In 2015, they made a guest, Ray made a guest appearance at Dave's solo show in London. Mm. And um, I watched a bit of the video. They're not warm with each other at all. Mm. You can tell that it's, I don't know really why they did it, if they weren't, if they're going to make it awkward for the whole crowd. Mm. They kind of, Ray made a few jokes about the, the band. He was literally getting to play with the other night. Uh, they didn't uh, shake hands. They kind of just like, bumped fists or whatever yeah. walked off walked off he thanked the crowd and walked off and apparently it was real fucking awkward and weird um, reunion wasn't happening until 2018 with the death of the other bassist Jim Rodford mm. the press went oh he's gonna get back together yeah. they said yeah we're working on a new album so in their mid 70s working on an album for 2020 yeah. the kinks like I don't know yeah maybe, maybe they're not, not they're, I think the Kings are one of those bands that have to keep reviving with good shit or people won't care. Yeah. If you release enough stink, people will... Like, what happened to... Like, the Rolling Stones kept going, but they released, not for me, but for a lot yeah. of people, good stuff. And they, yeah. their gigs were unquestionably brilliant across the board. Like, they're great live and stuff like <laughs> that. But the Kings didn't have the material and they weren't really playing good gigs and they weren't really... My, mates and they broke they broke up for too long as well you yeah. can't do all that and still be popular so exactly kinks are, so keep your eye out for a new band called the kinks coming out yeah. like, uh, it shows a song over the edge yep. uh, that's what happened who's your next one uh, my next one is the libertines uh with um when the lights go out the, this is this These is rap junkies yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's um the weird relationship uh between carl barat and um pete doherty um, so you had Car- Carl, Carl P, um, John Hassel, and Gary Powell. I've actually met Gary Powell. I was out drinking with him. He was playing, um, played a gig in Air Place. He was drumming for Sylvain Sylvain from the New York Dolls. He was doing a European tour, and Gary Powell was drumming. He was fucking, he was sound. He was 100% sound. And uh, it, it, he seems, from what I'm reading, like Gary Powell seems to be like the, the guy who just like, wants to play the fucking music, doesn't give a shit about, about the rest of it, you know? But, um, there's a weird relationship between Carl and P and it's, it's, it's so fucking weird. Like apparently like a lot of kind of press people and insiders always attribute it to like almost like sibling rivalry and you know, or the, the need yeah. to kind of outdo each other. But, uh, like the fact remains that like Pete Doherty was like a full blown, full blown drug addict, like yeah. almost forever, like heroin crack fucking whatever he get his hands on. And this caused like mad stresses in the band where like the two lads would be fucking taking lumps out of each other. But mostly Carl trying to sort him the fuck out. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck are you doing? We're in a huge band. We can fucking have everything we ever wanted. 
and Doherty's yeah. like, I just want more drugs. Like that's, that's all. Like, I just want fucking drugs. And um, he apparently, um, Carl had even said like, I actually considered like starting to do heroin just to see if I could understand where Doherty was coming from to see maybe I could help him if I knew what he was fighting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Because the drugs are not coming from. <laughs> Drugs being great. Well, I'm sure they are, but what's well, the addiction? The addiction yeah. comes from somewhere. Like Doherty had been, he'd been a dealer and a prostitute and all in his fucking early teens. You know what I mean? And he used to mug his clients because they wouldn't rat mill. You know, he'd have a lot of. Uh, oh yeah. He'd have a lot of like fucking married men and stuff like that. So he'd do the job on them. He Doherty like, was doing that, was he? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. And then he'd um, he'd whatever, steal their fucking wallet or mug them as they left because they wouldn't be able to rat. You know. Um, there, there was a scene in extras. Yeah, he exactly. Stole, he stole me watch. Yeah. Oh, daddy, call the police. No, no, don't call the police. Don't call. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there was there, there was a, a couple of occasions where like Doherty was just put out of band. It's like you're not you're going to rehab or you're not cut. You know you have to sort your fucking self out before you can rejoin the Libertines. And one occasion, I think the Libertines were in Japan or something, doing a little tour over there, and Doherty was staying at home, fucking doing all the drugs in the world and he was like fuck Carl Barat and he broke into his house um, he breaks into Carl's flat and he steals like guitars and computers and all this kind of shit um, from like the singer in his band you know what I mean like he's like fuck this cunt I'm gonna fucking rob everything he has breaks in steals all this shit he gets arrested he's sent to jail his charge sheet is fucking bananas by the way if, if you ever want a good, good read and go and look at the amount of times that Pete Dart is being arrested and like sent to jail or rehab, it's fucking, it's a very, very long read. A lot really? of this, yeah, so much like forced rehab and jail time and all this kind of shit. Like, it looks like the two lads, all, like, they tried, tried a fucking hundred times to try and get on the same page. You know what I mean? With each other. Where Darty get clean for a little while. He's like, I'm fucking, I want to do this band. I want to do this fucking band. And uh, the band eventually kind of dissolves. And there uh, you go on, uh, uh, you, you get like dirty pretty things out there and baby shambles and, and another band called the Jackals. They they all kind of have their own bits and pieces kind of going on. I never, I never, I never really gave it a go. I just looked at the band and went, no. Yeah, well, yeah, I was like, the Libertines have to have some decent songs. Baby shambles have some decent songs. I, again, I wouldn't be hoying me fucking list, you know. The, the the story of how these um how these two lads kind of loved each other but fucking hated each other like at the yeah. same time is, is, is more interesting than the music for me. Um, I, I think I'm probably about 10 years too old. Um, I think I was as well. I think it was coming out of indie too. I'd had enough of indie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. The, the lads would go fucking like very massive long periods without talking to each other. They just talked to each other through other members of the band and stuff like that. You know, they knew they kind of had to, this was the dynamic and the dynamic worked and they tried, like like I said, they tried fucking having having their own band, separate band, side projects. They tried like getting rid of Doherty and they end up bringing them back. They knew that this was the, the, the this was one hundred percent the fucking the thing mm. that had to happen. Like, and, and I always felt like they like they were afraid of what's going to happen, um, when they were put together and it, when they were back together again, and it would never last very long before something else would fucking happen. You know, Doherty be caught with a fucking strange hanging out his arm, driving the car through an estate or something like something. He was always in the fucking press. That's why I never wanted to bother with that band. Exactly. I, know it's, I know they probably have great music and I, people will go, but you listen to Alice in Chains and Tin Lizzy. I know, yeah, they're drunk. Yeah, yeah. That, that was lovable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like I said, that, that's the Libertines. The two lads just always banged heads um, to the, got to the point where Doherty was like fucking breaking into, into Carl's yeah. house and stealing shit off him. They, like, they wanted to, they, they did get on. They just had like long periods of like, what the fuck is Doherty yeah. doing? You know what I mean? Why is he doing this to the band? Like, this is our bread and butter, you know? We're fucking, we're all having kids now and shit like that. You know what I mean? We need to, 
we need to stay in the road. We need to make this fucking make this field bob while we're still popular. And Doherty's putting the whole thing in jeopardy. So <clears throat> they tore him out, and he eventually ended up coming back. And then they all went off on their own thing, kind of varying. Like I, I think, like Baby Shambles done particularly well, and uh, Doherty pretty things. I think decent. they might have done better than the Libertines. Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I think the, the the press that Doherty had going into Baby Shambles is worth fucking a hundred million pounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like people are gonna buy that just to, to hear what the fuck it sounds like. More so All than I can remember is pictures of them in Camden and uh, in big fucking Dell boy jackets and stupid hats and yeah. tattoos. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there's a bunch of that. They, they, like the, their 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 management definitely kind of latched onto the idea that like we have like the ultimate bad boy here. We haven't had the a management bad boy let them do loads of gear. Oh yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like that was definitely a part of it because that was, like I said, the dynamic was the two lads fighting, and it didn't matter, like, <laughs> it didn't matter really that the the, the music was good, bad, or indifferent. You know what I mean? Our Carl yeah. and P fighting again. You know what I mean? Is Posh Spice fighting with fucking Baby Spice again? Is that's going to sell some fucking records? I think, it, I think like, I think it might be the fact that when an English band does music like, I know it's not the same, but the Hives and the Strokes and mm. all them. Something about when an English band does it, I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What I'm like, oh, it's just, and the fact that they're big scaldy junkies as well, which <laughs> is a terrible thing to say because these people afflicted by drug addiction, whatever way you want to frame it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I I'm, not be, I'm not being fucking sound well clad today. I'm, I'm grumpy. <laughs> I'm tired. So. Fe- feeling the pain last night. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's the Libertines. Who is your next one? Culture Club. Do you really want to hurt me? Apparently, yes. Mm, apparently. A lot. Uh, if, if you listen to Boy George or uh, the drummer, John Moss, who's actually ex-damned and Adam and the Ants. Okay. Uh, they had an interband relationship mm-hmm. uh, that was kept quiet for a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, they also used to box the head off each other. <laughs> And then do some sex, and then do some songs, and yeah. then do some drugs, possibly, and then do some sex, and then do some box that up, and then repeat that. Um, it's mad that like they kept. Uh, it was apparently the other lads in the band were saying it was extremely stressful to try and keep their relationship under wraps. Yeah, because uh, John Moss was not known to be gay, mm. and uh, still to this day considers himself not to be gay. That's grand. Our, yeah. our boy at all. He said the only person he ever loved, man that he ever loved, was Boy George. So. It's kind of ironic because Boy George will out anyone for any yeah. reason. Oh, yeah, he's mad for it. Yeah. I don't know if he's still doing that, but he is. Um, the relationship was about four years long and uh, physical, verbal abuse was like kind of the constant mm. thing that's written in both of their books. Uh, originally, they were supposedly called Sex Gang Children, who are yes. already a, a band. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to Google that because I will never type those words into Google. I was Ever. offered, I'll tell you a, a story, about two years ago, I got an email from a promoter. Just saying, quickly, uh, just so I let, let people yeah, know go that go the next country are a band that yeah. came out like a year later. Yeah. But that's why I don't know about this. I don't know about this. But yeah, go on. You, you got. <laughs> I got an email from a promoter saying like, oh, they're back together again, which would be interesting in putting on uh, Sex Gang Children. Because we'd put on a couple of these kind of reformed uh, kind of goth bands. Yeah, you've told me. <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember. I, it was one or two. I can't fucking remember. And um, uh, so we got this email saying, like, "Are you interested in uh, putting on sex gang children?" And I, in, I, I'd never heard of them. Right? Yeah. I'd never heard of the band. Uh, 
And I instantly, without even looking, I just mailed them back and said, no, thank you. Just because I am not putting a poster up that says oh, sex yeah. children. Like, it's just not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> they, honest to God, they, there could be anybody in, in that fucking band. Like, fucking Elvis could come back from the dead and be the singer for Sex Gang <laughs> yeah. Children. And I'm still not putting them on. It's um, just, yeah, it's just Gothic Rock. I, I never thought that they were uh, amazing or anything. But yeah, yeah I, I also read that Culture Club were, were supposed to be called In Praise of Lemmings. I don't know how true it is. Mm. They they broke up unofficially in uh, 1986. You know when a band breaks up and never say it, so people were kind of waiting around. Yeah. Boy George was uh, ruined by the breakup of the band mm. and the breakup of the relationship because they did genuinely love each other. Like, yeah. Uh, so he got addicted to the gear uh, and John Moss had to go to therapy for years to deal with the breakup of the band and the relationship as well. Um, here's one for you. We talk about things that you can attack your band members with yeah. a good one with Oasis and a, what was it? A mango? <laughs> it's a mango or a orange. peach or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, one time in a restaurant, John Moss went at Boy George with lobster thermidor. There's, there's a good one. So yeah, they, he said that uh, Boy George said in his, um, his book that uh, their relationship was built on just power tripping each other and yeah. machoism and, and stuff. But he said that they did genuinely love each other and they created a great uh, musical force. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the, the book I was just talking about there is called Take It Like a Man. Mm. And then John Moss came out and renamed the book for him, Fake It Like a Ham. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Boy George obviously went on to do his, um, his career as a DJ. Mm. And... Um, I didn't realize this in September 1995. I'm whispering into the microphone. Uh, his fucking boy George's younger brother had an absolute paranoid schizophrenic attack and uh, stabbed his wife to death. Well, I'd read that somewhere. I read that somewhere a while ago. Yeah, yeah. that's fucking crazy. Yeah. So to this day, John Moss is straight and has, uh, I think he's a partner or a wife and kids and stuff like that. And he said yeah. that honestly, Never considered himself gay. He was just one dude that, yeah. that he loved, absolutely loves bits. Yeah. Uh, so let's see where we are sort of now. What the fuck did I that I thought I exited out of my notes. Yeah. My notes. Um, in 1998, they put their differences aside and mm-hmm. did a, a VH1 storytellers thing where they were interviewed separately. Slagging each other, oh, fuck, hate that, whatever, like that. But then they, they get back. That kind of set some things in motion because it was so yeah. big. They did a huge tour, and they're called Greatest Moments. It was uh, the tour and the compilation album, and they both did absolutely amazing. Sex, sex, gangbusters, children. It did gang, sex, gangbusters, children. <laughs> um, they released on top of that as well a fifth studio album. So they actually started making music again. Yeah. Uh, and in 2009, Boy George was sentenced to 15 months in jail after being convicted of falsely imprisoning a male escort by handcuffing him to a wall and threatening him with sex toys. Jesus Christ. Uh, 2014, they reunited again to write and record new um, material and stuff like that. Mm. And they had another big album, another big... Uh, it's called Culture Club Tribes. Mm. This is like a fucking name of a TV show. And a big... Uh, no, sorry, this didn't. That's what it was. Yeah, this is the one that didn't come out. Yeah, they already no, they did, but it was postponed because uh, Boy George was getting polyps on his vocal cords. That's right. Yeah, sur- yeah, surgery for. I remember reading about that. Yeah, um, 
research, uh, it was rescheduled for 2015. Yeah. This is the, this is the mad bit. Things are going well. Yeah. Really well. 2000, 2016, they're, they're still torn. I had no in, intention of ever wanting to go and see Culture Club. To yeah, me, that grand. Yeah, with this new wave with like a really, he, he is a phenomenal singer. Yeah. George, like he is, he has that bluesy kind of voice singing kind of thing a little bit before like Yazoo. Mm. Um, so run a roll now. Things are going well. 2018, up to two years ago, releasing an album and doing um, an album called Life Together on a Big Tour. And then, 2018, a little bit later, just before the tour for that starts, Boy George uh, says that, it's coming out in the newspaper that he fired him a few days before the tour started. Weird. So then Jonathan Ross was interviewing Boy George. He was sorry, Boy George is absolutely not sure he left for his family. He's, the last tour was so grueling. He, uh, he wants to be his family and it was like, okay, grand. So it's not, he didn't get fired from the band. Yeah. Which was like, no, not at all. John Mosh sues the band because he was fired. Yeah. But then, hang on. <laughs> 2020, this year, Boy George requested a meeting with John Moss to apologise for some things. And uh, it was, it was, the, it was, say, he said it was the management that wanted him to take a break. Oh, this fucking shite. That was, that was what they were like. like. Yeah, get rid of him. Although yeah. the management said it was a break. So, Culture Club stance is now, the door is open for John Moss to come mm. back. So, that is where they stand now. Attacking each other with lobster <laughs> thermidor, suing each other, talking <laughs> shite, slagging each other's biographies. Mm. They definitely do not like each other. Yeah. Um, or maybe they love each other still too much. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? That's water, jo- water under the bridge that never really dissipated as well. Yeah. That's jo- John Moss. Is it John Moss, isn't it? Jesus. So to call him John Matson, John Moss and yeah. Boy George from yeah. uh, Culture Club. Dude, they're mm-hmm. two poor focus on the band going, right, lads. Like, we're ride, here as well. Right, if you have to. Yeah. Fucking fight if you have to. But can we, come on, the fuck. That was, my, uh, that was my one there. Who's your next one? My next one is The Misfits. And I picked them. We're, we're Eagles there. Um, so The Misfits are uh, formed in 1977. It's originally Glenn Danzig, uh, Doyle, I'm just going to call him Doyle because I'm not dealing with the Von Wolfstein, Frankenstein shite. Uh, Doyle, uh, Jerry Only, and they, they had a bunch of drummers as well. Now, this is the, the kind of classic lineup. There was lineups before this where it was Danzig kind of messing around with some mates and shit, but this is the, the true original one. You could probably call it Robo. Um, Robo, the drummer, would probably be the, one of the classic kind of lineup guys as well. Um, they effectively invented the genre of horror punk by kind of mashing goths and um, kind of horror imagery alongside horror yeah. punk. Now, they kind of burnt out particularly quick. So they formed in 77. They kind of started doing a bit of business around 79 and by 83, they've kind of they've disbanded. Uh, right. Danzig goes on to form Sewan, which kind of evolves into Danzig, the band. Um, so it's... <sighs> how do you even describe this weird dynamic? Doyle doesn't seem to give a fuck, right? Doyle will, like, Doyle played with Misfits after Danzig and he played with Danzig after Misfits. You know, he'd jump right. in and play a gig here or there. He uh, he also went on from his he own band. He to play the music. He does like to play the music. It's also not very good at it. But he, <laughs> he, uh, he likes, he has his own band called Doyle, obviously. Everyone's just Doyle. He's just a big me. And I was people saying that that gig was amazing. I'm like, was it though? I, I, I doubt it. I listen to the music. It's not great. It's like him doing his best impression of uh, kind of uh, Rob Zombie style stuff. Like, and right. I, 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 I 
put my fucking ball on the line that he wrote none of it. Let me he's let a, me just say that. Monster. He's a huge vegan bodybuilder, steroid freak. And Sorry, um, yeah, he's in his fifties and he's a fucking beast of a man. Um, he's actually been interviewed a few times. So I'm like, you know, what's your uh, stance on steroids? He's like, I fucking love them. So, <laughs> At least he's honest about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's on the, the vegan steroids. But um, okay, so there's a there's a couple of legal battles and there's just general heat between Glenn and uh, Jerry Only. So the band kind of knocking on the head around 83 they're knocking on the ha- on the head because uh, Danzig's just getting tired of uh, doing the same old fucking horror punk show even though they haven't really done that much really like they've got you know fucking two or three albums and like a couple of kind of EPs and collections and some of the albums are made up of collections of EPs and it's kind of a clusterfuck but uh, Danzig has, is talking to um, Henry Rollins one day and he's like fuck I'm thinking about knocking this in the head you know and Rollins is like you should man you should absolutely knock on the head do your own thing it'd be fucking great so uh, he announces from the stage um, they, the Misfits were famous for doing this Halloween gig every year in Detroit now, considering that the band only existed for six years, um, th- this became this like legendary fucking gig where it was just no holds barred. You never knew what the fuck was going to happen. And it was also usually one of the only gigs that the Misfits would play where they'd actually do a full set. The Misfits, right. were, Misfits were famous for getting up on stage and something would go wrong, like an amp would blow up or a guitar would explode because they built their own instruments and they built their own amplifiers. And uh, like Doyle, the guitarist, played through a bass amp fucking I think Jerry that's, right. that's why I was telling you was the bassist yeah he plays through a bass amp because it's getting more bot men day over like someone just needs to teach that kind of how to use a guitar amp and um with, take, with bigger strings like it's bigger just, gauge strings yeah <laughs> it's, it's just he's a fucking and he doesn't really strum the strings he punches them so he was always breaking guitars um Jerry Jerry and Doyle are brothers um, they're proper real brothers hmm. and uh, Doyle was very very young when he was in the Misfits like he started in the Misfits when he was like fucking 14 or something like that so they always had to lie about his age and shit like that and um, the family owned this big what they call a machine shop that made uh, they made knives and um, tools in this machine shop in uh, the hometown of Lodi, New Jersey so the band all worked in the machine shop in between tours and shit like that now Doyle hmm. was still in school so when he finished school um, he played gigs in the weekend. When he finished school, then he went and worked in a machine shop and he was earning money then. So he was able to fucking, um, he was able to start forward and to like buy more equipment for himself to uh, build more equipment. That's why you, you see the guitars they're using are mad looking guitars. They have spikes and shit on them. They were building drum kits with like fucking 60, 70 inch uh, kick drums with spikes coming out. And because they had these machines, these like CNC tools and folders and shit, they could actually make all their own instruments. But they weren't like luthiers. They didn't know what they were doing. So the fucking things would break all the time or explode or whatever the fuck. Now I think Dean Margley or something are making the guitars from like they took them under license so there's somebody making them properly but the shit would always explode or, or break or Danzig would get electrocuted by a microphone or something like that and he'd just fucking storm off stage or Jerry would storm off stage so like there's a good like 60 to 70% of the gigs the Misfits ever played in the classic lineup where they played two songs and fucked off oh, it was like, like yeah they were famous for it like 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 ludicrously famous but the Detroit gig was always the one that people looked forward to the one they looked forward to and most of the time they fucking played it and they played a full set and everybody loved it um, you'll see, you'll see like, most of the footage you'll, you'll see um, of the Misfits is from the, the Detroit gigs at Halloween but Danzig just announced one day he was like I'm fucking having enough 
And uh, this is the last gig the Misfits are ever going to play. And one of the reasons for that is because when they were on tour, they were going through New York. You said it on stage? Yeah, on stage. Told them oh, on stage. I fucking yeah. hate that yeah. shit, man. That happened to them with Michael Graves as well. Um, Michael Graves announced from the stage that he was fucking, he was leaving. That is the biggest prima donna fucking move, man. Yeah, big time. It, it, it happened a bunch to them in their career. But Dan, one of the reasons Danzig had a pain is bollocks because they, they had been arrested um, on this tour in New Orleans um, for grave robbing. They went to this. Uh, they oh went to God. this. They went to this cemetery in New Orleans looking for this famous voodoo practitioner, and uh, they were running around the grave, the, the the cemetery at night, and they got arrested. Now I don't think they were actually digging up fucking bones. I hope not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I hope they were digging up our bones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And um, graves. Exactly. So um, they they were arrested and they, they ended had to bail themselves out and they spent a lot of money bailing themselves out and then to continue on the tour being fucking broke and this Danzig just I'm paying me bollocks with this. Um, I want to do kind of heavier music. I want to do kind of slower music, and uh, so he knocked him on the head and he brought in uh, like Chuck Biscuits and all these guys to, to form Sewan who eventually kind of morphed into just Danzig. They could mm. see the the same. The Danzig logo, the big kind of horn school, that was the Sewan logo as well. You see how that kind of how that that, that goes on, but. There was um, there was a legal battle, um, after after the misfits kind of dissolved themselves, where Doyle and uh, Doyle and Jerry wanted to put together this new version of the band, and eventually, yeah. this is so fucking weird, where this comes from. So the legal battle kind of stems from. After the band had knocked it on the head, the, the band kind of got much more famous after they broke up. So they got famous when Danzig, like when, when Mother and stuff came out, and people were like, who the fuck is Danzig? And they start realizing that uh, like this guy Danzig was in this band Misfits, and then like uh, Metallica were covering them, and Guns N' Roses were covering them. All this kind of but shit. But they're like, not already big before. No, not really. Because they, they, whenever they did tour, they only played two, three fucking gigs. That's why, like, um, like original pressings and misfit stuff is worth a fucking fortune. Because no one was buying it, you know. Yeah. Um, they're like incredibly. They were they were like really popular in the music scene for musicians. Like you'd see pictures of, like Cliff Burton wearing uh, fucking Misfits t-shirts. But no one else who knew yeah. it's where. Like, misfits kind of got famous off the back of Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and then Danzig gets real big. Yeah, so yeah. They, they were kind of. No way! I thought they were fucking bigger than that. No, nah, they were yeah, not I really. <laughs> yeah, they they got big kind of after they broke up. So Danzig was a pro. Danzig was like he wrote wrote the fucking songs, wrote the lyrics, all this kind of shit, and uh, that was the general consensus anyway. That's what everybody assumed was that Danzig wrote all this music. Now it turns out that like Doyle and Jerry were they reckon twenty five to thirty percent of the music and lyrics was what they put in. They, they, they didn't have any beef with Danzig saying, like, he wrote 70%, the majority of it. But they were like, lad, we fucking wrote some of this shit as well. Like, you can't be, you can't just control all of it. Because mm. uh, Misfits was fucking Danzig's name. He'd, like, he'd come up with the full concept of the logo that they'd stolen from this old 1950s B movie um, called <laughs> The Crimson Ghost and all this kind of shit and bought the rights to use it and all, all this madness. So Danzig had been approached by um, the old record label, uh, Caroline Records, Saying like, would you like to put out like the best of um, Misfits or you know some collections or compilations? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. But um, give me, give me like, give me a couple of months. So Danzig takes all the master tapes which he had at home and brought them into a studio, and he played all the instruments over them himself. He played drums, he played guitar, he played bass, just so he wouldn't have to pay any royalties to the other lads. Oh. 
Oh. Right? So he overdubs himself playing all the instruments. So when you buy like collection one or collection two or whatever the fuck it is, like there's a good chance that like that's not really the misfits. That's Danzig there's kind so of so many different versions of the songs. Oh yeah, exactly. There's anyway. Slow, yeah, exactly. Like, there's like slow ones, fast ones, there's weird like BBC sessions, there's fuck it's it's insane how many different versions there are. <laughs> Jesus, that sounds like the most petty thing I've ever heard. Oh yeah, so he so they get brought to court, uh, Jerry Only and Doyle bring them to court and they're like, listen, like you're after releasing this fucking, these compilations and they're selling in fucking big numbers now because Metallica are covering us, Guns N' Roses are covering us and your band's doing particularly well. Like, and these are songs that we wrote. Like, we might have only wrote a quarter of them but we're entitled to some of the royalties and Dan's like, nah man, I played over all your shit. Not, got, it doesn't matter if you play it, surely they're due some money. So apparently what happens is, right, this is what happens, is that the two parties come to an agreement where Jerry and Doyle stop suing Danzig for royalties of the songs, and they get the uh, the rights to use the logo and the name and continue on playing as the Misfits. Right. Yeah. So Danzig doesn't give a fuck about the Misfits anymore. You know what I mean? He really doesn't give a shit. He not, doesn't want to play the songs. Doesn't want anything to do with them. He's like, you just can fucking have it. Off you go. So they take this newfound ability that they've got off Danzig and put uh, get Michael Graves. Um, now what you have to remember is that things get fucking weird around this period in that um, Jerry only becomes like a born again Christian so what happens is him and Doyle start this band called Christ the Conqueror which is meant to be like they invent this character of this like Christian barbarian he was like roving across the lands converting all the heathens to being uh, God fearing folk because Jesus wasn't like fucking buff enough exactly for, for the misfits exactly like, why, why we can't, they can't they can't fucking make their day exactly. fucking weakling. There was there was there was a bit of a disharmony in the band because fucking they were like all the lads in the misfits were kind of like lifting weights and trying to like work on their stage present presence so they're all kind of big hench cunts like you know what I mean? And yeah. like obviously like Jerry is fucking huge, Doyle is huge, the Danzig was huge for fucking years as well. So what what happens is they have while well, they're in the studio recording uh, stuff for Christ the Conqueror. You can actually find some of that online. If you go on YouTube you'll find Christ the Conqueror um songs. They're, they're garbage, but it's worth listening to. Um, and yeah. in one of the other uh, rehearsal studios, wherever the fuck it is, they hear this bloke singing they're like, who the fuck is that? And they go in, they find this guy called Michael Graves. So like they're in the spot, like, do you want to be the singer for the Misfits? Put like, him back. Ah, exactly. Put him back now. Yeah, send him back. So no, they take well, him no, on. No, no, use him and then yeah, no, to be fair. Just get rid of him real quickly. Like, yeah. I do think he is good. He's great. He's, he's fucking super. They, they, they bring him in. They record those, like, uh, those two albums in one collection. Um, I, can't remember, I can't remember what the name of the fucking collection. It's only like B-sides and demos and shit like that. And um, they do that. And then, like I said, he eventually knocks it on the head as well. He announces from the stage. He's fucking done. Do you reckon, it, do you reckon it's 50-50 old Misfits and new 50, Misfits, like if you had to vote for people? No, it's 100. I'd, I'd say for it's the 90% original Misfits. Really? Yeah, 100, yeah. One, I, just, I see a lot of people saying they prefer Michael Graves here. It depend, depends what age you are when you get into it. That's uh, all it is. Right, yeah, now, yeah. I, what I will say is that I was, I, the first Misfits I def, like, definitely heard and got into was Michael Graves era. Definitely. 100%. I had heard like, you know, Last Caress and like some of the big songs, but I didn't, I didn't know that Michael Graves was a new singer and I didn't know, because this is all yeah. kind of fucking almost pre-internet. I didn't know that like Graves yeah, and Danzig were things. different, but I hadn't a fucking clue. It took me years to figure it out. And I was balls deep in Graves era Misfits. It was like, these are like, the production is perfect. The songs are super. Like, uh, Dig Up Our Bones is one of the fucking greatest rock songs ever written. Oh, like, it's great. It's so good. Like, there's so many fucking bangers, but they're completely and utterly different fucking, um, just they should have just changed the name 
they should have came up with something else fucking saying featuring the misfits or something they should have yeah but, but if, if they came away from that deal with Danzig going we got exactly we that's, they thought that they were going to continue it but the problem and was obviously they can play the songs no exactly the, 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 the problem was that uh, like I said only it become like a born again Christian so he didn't want to talk about Satan and fucking the devil and blood oh, rituals and all this fucking digging up voodoo bones and all this type of shit so oh, all of a sudden the songs are about fucking Wolfman chasing me down the lane tonight you know what I mean? That type of shit. <laughs> so that, that's the way they kind of go. They're not, there's no, they're, they're a cult, but they're real soft. Like the Beano version of the occult is what, where it becomes. Um, all the time, Danzig like is... Monster Squad. Exactly. All the time, <laughs> Danzig and, and uh, Danzig and fucking only are like fucking taking pot shots at each other in the press. And every time they're asked about reunions, they're like, ask me fucking bollocks. No fucking way. Like, uh, only's getting interviewed. He goes, like, we've a better singer now. We've a better front man. Um, he's nicer to be around. He's got, he's, you know, he's, he's youthful. He's full of fucking juice. He's fucking jumping around. He's giving it loads. We're doing more than we ever done during the original run with Danzig. Danzig only ever cared about Danzig. You know, fucking Michael Graves cares about misfits. And this is what the misfits is. Um, so they're taking pot shots. Danzig is calling them like a garage band. He's like, this fucking bullshit garage band. Can't even hear your song you know everything sounds the same blah 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 um then like i said fucking graves quits on stage uh grave quits on stage they bring in a uh, singer called zoli teglis who's a singer for a guy called ignite a band called ignite who was um they're like an american kind of hardcore band like a melodic hardcore band the zoli mm-hmm. is from hungary originally he covers for them f- uh, for the rest of the tour he gets sacked um he gets sacked by jerry only for uh verbally abusing a woman in the crowd um, at a gig, uh, yeah. Depends on what happened. Like, if she was a car, if she was a Karen, you'd have to go fuck you. Yeah, she she was <laughs> she was screaming at Zowley, "You're not fucking Danzig, and you're not Michael Graves." And he's like, "I'm helping out me mates here," and uh, she was screaming. Oh. She, she called him a cunt and all. He said, "Where did she go to the gig?" Yeah, exactly. Well, but apparently a lot of people didn't know. Again, the internet wasn't a thing. Right, they showed yeah, up, yeah, and there's yeah. this other guy, and she's screaming, "Get the fuck off the stage! You're not fucking Danzig, and you're not Michael Graves. Get the fuck, get the fuck." Well, she kind of has a right to say that at a gig, I suppose. She absolutely does. Yeah. But she, apparently, she's just fucking. She's hammering the home right up the front, screaming at Zowley. Zowley's yeah, trying to do his fucking best, <laughs> and he turns around. And he says, "Why don't you go and suck on your own tampon, you fucking was it? Go and suck on your own tampon, you fucking bitch." And uh, Jerry only, who was now a reformed fucking. Oh yeah, see, normally that normally that'd be a cool thing to hear. Exactly. And Jerry's like, "Absolutely, we're having none of that." So really, thank you very much. So that's the end of that. Yeah, she, um, he was like, "You're fired. Women don't have periods." Yeah, exactly. Um, said. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the whole thing is a clusterfuck. Um, Jerry, that that band kind of dissolves then. Uh, Jerry starts a new version of Misfits with Marky Ramone on drums and Des Cadena from Black Flag on guitar and they just do like an equal mix of Misfits Black Flag and Ramone songs but they're still called the Misfits oh, it's one so of those one it's of those so fu- now I went to see them twice and they were fucking amazing nice. they were honest to God fucking amazing there was literally three legends on stage playing all their legendary songs it was fucking superb and I actually met them in the airport the day after the gig as I was flying out to America and I talked about that on another podcast. It was fucking batshit mad. But I enjoyed the fuck out all the times I seen them. Um, I never saw Graves here. I obviously never saw Danzig here. Um, I'm probably never going to get to see the now reformed Misfits with um, Jerry Only, Doyle, Danzig, and they have uh, Dave Lombardo. Dave Lombardo on drums. I'd love to see that. But apparently, like, I talked to mates of mine who are older than me who saw Misfits in their original incarnation. They're like, listen what you need to understand is that the legend and mythos of the misfits like grossly outweighs like 
um, oh, yeah. outperforms what they were like live. He said, like, every time you saw them live, they were fucking shy back in the day. They were yeah. just garbage. They just had a look, they had a style, and people fucking loved it and followed them around. It was just this legendary, mythical fucking thing to go and see the Misfits. But, like, if you went there to hear good music, you were always sorely disappointed. And he's saying, like, probably now, sounded like dirt. It's like, absolute like, dirt. Like, yeah, absolute you know, dirt. Just if you're using the bass amp with a guitar. Exactly. Well, like, still doing it to yeah. this day. But, like, um, now that he was saying like uh, like uh, I wouldn't pay I wouldn't pay, he said I paid like five dollars to go and see them in fucking like 1981 and I'm most certainly not paying a thousand dollars to go and see them now in a fucking stadium in Chicago because they haven't got any better I just know they haven't you know what I mean like yeah. if you want to hear the Misfits he said just put the fucking record on the CD on and listen to it and appreciate mm-hmm. it but don't be expecting any sort of performance out of that band um, live and it's all loads of footage the first reform gig didn't look good. The second one looked better. They looked like they had worked a little bit of it out, but uh, it's it's still a fucking mess. Like I love the Misfits. One of my favorite. Bands I mean, lads, time. it's not the the music's not fucking like there's nothing to it. Emerson, yeah. Lake and Palmer, like, so all three card tricks. But for some reason, <laughs> the lads just can't like they could never get it together. But obviously, Danzig and fucking uh, and, and and Jerry have kind of settled their score and, and figured out that this is worth yeah. a fortune. You know, this is worth a few bob now. Um, let's just get it done because like that Danzig was starting to wane the, the band Danzig was starting to wane definitely starting times. to wane because yeah. the, the, the material is garbage and exactly. I know they have, you can tell by the, the venues they were playing as well there exactly yeah. we're just going down and down and down so that was the injection that kind of all the parties involved needed playing in front of like fucking whatever it was 100,000 150,000 you just sometimes people. have to wait till your lead, ex-lead singer gets shy yeah and then bring it's them like, back take that have to wait till Robbie Williams stopped being popular and then Get him yeah, back yeah, in. Exactly. And then like, take that became more popular again than Robbie exactly. Williams then for a while. Yeah. Ah, looks, like to, to be it's, fair, it's, exa- it's pretty much exactly like exactly. <laughs> to, to be fair, like that Danzig hasn't been able to sing now in a long time. It must be no, 20, 20, 20 years or twenty five years since Danzig can actually put a fucking note together. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. And he was a fucking. Uh, if you watch those, uh, what's the videos of the the. Uh, the reunion gig as well there's a fierce and I mean a fierce amount of fucking Danzig doing his Danzig vocals and then the microphone goes out to the crowd and as the gig progresses instead of even finishes the line it's like microphone out to the crowd and he's doing a fucking uh, yeah Vince Neil. Yeah, a full on, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. You'll sing it. That's 100% that's what he's doing because he just ha- yeah. doesn't have the gas in him anymore. Anyway, that was uh, Misfits with uh, Jerry Only versus uh, Glenn Danzig. Who's your next one? It's the sound of the police. No, it's not KRS one. It's uh, the police. The, the actual police. police. The actual, yeah, the actual police hate each other. No, the band, the police. Uh, did they hate each other? Oh, I don't know. They fought a lot, though. Like a lot. It's uh, it's no surprise to some, but it might be actually surprise to some that Sting and the drummer Stuart Copeland do not really like each other. Actually, mm. they do. Stuart Copeland does like Sting, but he has for years and years and years just ripped him a new one in the press. Yeah, slyly little sly digs because apparently Sting is a fucking prick. Yeah, I believe it. Look, a grade A fucking yeah. like a horrible dickhead. Not what I'd say horribly. It's it's not um. It's not like spitefulness or anything like that, or he's yeah. not stingy, I don't think, but uh, he's incredibly fucking rude. To do, his do you reckon he's tight? Do you reckon he's stingy? I don't know. I don't <laughs> think about that. Oh, just saw what you did there. You kill yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the band split up in in 1984 at the peak. Yeah. Of fucking fame after five monstrous albums. Mm. Uh, and apparently they would 
slag each other off badly and there was physical fights. Bands don't like to talk about physical fights. It's very hard to find that information mm. um, unless it's physical, or sorry, unless it's put in public, physical stuff in public, but a lot of bands. Or they don't say, we used to batter each other at sing exaggeration. They don't talk about this at all, but apparently it's been said a few times that there was, like Copeland maybe going over going Sting, you are getting a box in the jaw. Yeah. They, Copeland said that they used to argue about absolutely everything musically. Yeah. They were so different musically. That's what made obviously that famous sound of reggae plus new wave plus mm. jazz plus I'm not a big fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a massive fan. I think some of the stuff is incredible. Like I really some do. stuff is superb, but Jesus a lot yeah. is garbage. They would uh Copeland I remember I think when we did the Cold War one, I picked Sting's song, uh Russians where he's like Think I so, hope yeah. the Russians love their children too. And Copeland was like, his dad was in the CIA. Yeah, I, I know I covered this before. It's just a great story. He goes, yeah. yeah, I'm not into, I'm not into fucking like giving the, the big one about the Russians. But who can, who can like quiet a poet like Sting saying, I hope the Russians love their children too. Like those are amazing lyrics. Clearly, absolutely sarcastic. Yeah. Him and he only did that a lot. I think that's probably how he got. If you're in a, a band with an arsehole and you could get away with blowing off steam in interviews. Mm. If you could go right, if I hold my tongue now, but that next interview will have a little sneaky dig, I think. Yeah. But it wasn't just him. Mix it up it a bit. Yeah, it wasn't just him because Andy Summers, the guitarist from from the uh, the police, said he is like a fucking. He has that real former school teacher hothead who talk down to people like their students and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and apparently he, he's like a, a posh fucking twat, like yeah, real, real he, holier now. He'd lash out at them in the middle of so good. That's not how it's fucking played. That's not how we should fucking play. Mm. And apparently, one time they were doing rehearsals in front of a lot of people, and Sting turned around and absolutely went through Andy Summers. And Andy Summers just looked around him and he looked at other people's faces, going, Holy fuck, Sting is a cunt. Mm. And it was then. And even Stuart Copeland said, like, on numerous occasions, he would have loved because he filmed a lot of the stuff. He used to film a lot of stuff with his camera. Mm. Like, uh, when they were traveling around the places, when they weren't playing music together, Stuart Copeland said they were dead on, best mates. Mm. When it came to actually playing music, he said, but I never got to record Sting being a cunt because I was playing drums. Yeah, yeah. I was always playing drums when he was being a cunt, so I could never get to actually do it. Never experienced they, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, they said, he, like, Copeland sort of mellowed out. Now, this is the casting. You don't get anything from Sting. Sting hasn't said anything about this. He's yeah. not talking about this. You never... Copeland would be the one blown off steam in the press. Mm. So we don't really know. I reckon Sting just probably just like, I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want people to see the weak side of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they did fight a lot. They did hate each other. Now they don't. They mm. did a few comebacks. They did a reunion gigs. The longest they ever did was just under a year for a reunion gig. And uh, Copeland and uh, Andy Summers said, I wouldn't do it for longer than that. It will go real pear shape, real mm. fast. Because mm. they still did that. So I chose... Don't stand so close to me on stage. <laughs> no, just don't stand mm. so close to me because I do actually like that song by Sting. August the Police, how they're known now, mm. <laughs> <laughs> or just Sting. Yeah, I, look, I just get a real bad, not bad vibe off Sting. I'd say he's he just looks like a, a teacher, a cunty teacher. He just looks like yeah. he looks like a prick. Let's be honest. He does. And, and he made an, an he made an album of Shaggy, so we know he's a prick. Jesus, yeah. Who's your next one? Uh, my next one is Aerosmith. 
Um, oh, right. I didn't know too much about this actually because I'm not. Don't hate. I know you hate the name Aerosmith. I um. I don't even hate it. I just know it's bad. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't hate Aerosmith, and I don't. They're, they're fine. They're just, they're just whatever. Um, yeah, I don't really. I just when I was a kid and tapes were a big fucking deal. <laughs> I used to have um. I had this mate of mine, Barry, and Barry had a, a brother called Scott, who was about three years older than him, and Scott was like a proper, like, rocker metal, metalhead, and he had yeah. one of the biggest tape collections I've ever seen. It was just a wall of cassettes, mm-hmm. and some were original and some were copies, and, and, and Scott was fucking sound in that, like, if you brought in a load of blanks, and like, because we we were all kids and we had a fucking clue what was good. We knew, like, Metallica and Megadeth and shit like that, you know, yeah. but he knew all the stuff. And um, what he would do, <laughs> what he'd do is you bring him in a blank tape and I had a good hi-fi and he'd run you off a copy of it. So he, he got me like my first copy of the first Rage Against the Machine album and I got like Antrax mm. Sound of White Noise off him and I got like, oh, what did I get? I got fucking, um, I got some fucking Aerosmith album off as well. That's kind of where I got um, exposed to him. But he used to say like, listen, if you give me two pound, this is back when there was pounds, not euros. If you give me two pounds, I'll get you an original cover um, to put your copy tape into. So we'd be like, loads of like, <laughs> save up our fucking money and give him two pounds. And he'd come into like golden disc and just rob the cover. He'd just like, <laughs> he'd leave the tape in there. He wouldn't steal the tape. Because, um, yeah. Because I have. Yeah. Um, so he'd just literally steal the cover. And uh, well, he would actually, you're talking about like they would have the tapes behind the counter. No, they'd have like the tapes out. If you remember, like you'd clack through the fucking tapes, then you release tapes, and you'd have a little razor blade, and you just open up the cellophane and leave the little uh, security tag, which would be on the case, and he'd just right. take the inlay card, out, oh, right. and he'd leave the case and the tape there with the security tag on it, and that the must inlay have been card. Incredibly annoying for the staff. Like, just take oh, yeah. the tape. Just yeah, take. The just tape. take the fucking thing. Now and we've then, got to deal with this shit. Yeah, exactly. So he'd go in, he'd rob that for two pounds. So if you had a few quid, you could get like the original cover. So when people came out of the gaff, you didn't look like a mad ghetto kid, but just like C ninety fucking tapes. We had tried our best to cl- like draw the logo on the side of it, but I was made of bollocks. I, I prefer that. I think that they were cool. They were cool, but like I was depending yeah, on what, what what type of tape you got as well. Sometimes you were poor mm. and you'd end up buying the tapes out of fucking like Apollo, and there'd be those like metal noise reduction ones. Ever sound like fucking gack on them like gack you had to buy you had to buy the good fucking like um tdks or something to get like proper crystal clear sound you know but he'd always do the clones and he gave me a, an aerosmith tape i don't remember what album was a fucking pump or fuck, i don't know what the fuck it was and um i i, I really liked that but i kind of just fell out then because um it wasn't it wasn't long after they, that they, they keep changing styles yeah that's it, was, it wasn't long after that you start getting all the fucking armageddon music and shit like that but so uh, they're they're from the boston in 1970 and apparently um steven tyler and joe perry fucking hate each other yeah i, I heard but, i only heard that recently actually well, yeah. not recently I, I remember hearing about it like I knew there'd been loads of like walkouts and shit like that, but I didn't know like how how deep it went. Like so, apparently the first big the big clash they had was uh, 1979. So they were, they were kind of matey for the first kind of decade. Like 1979, uh, Perry fucking he walks out right. He's just tired of fucking Tyler and his drugs and his fighting and his acting the bollocks. Like he's, mm. he has a pain in his fucking hole. Um, the whole thing starts with um fucking Joe Perry's wife backstage gets in a row with uh, Tom Hamilton, one of the other guys in the band, gets in a row with his wife and throws a glass of milk over her. And fucking Stephen Tyler steps in to kind of mediate the situation and it turns into a big fucking row 
between Tyler and Perry over like what the fuck is your wife doing here? Well, what the fuck is your wife doing here? Why the fuck is yeah. he, your wife throwing glass over her and my wife's over here doing just being fucking sound? So it turns into this whole big fucking thing and Perry just says, fuck this and walks out. So the whole situation is fucking torn 10 times worse when um, Stephen Tyler gives an interview saying that he'd sacked Joe Perry. And Joe oh. Perry goes, goes back and says, you never fucking sacked me, you cunt. I walked out because you're an, an alcoholic, drug fiend, fucking prick. You're an absolute fucking arsehole. So, apparently, during these, like, when fucking Perry's not around, Tyler just goes off the fucking deep end. He's uh, crashing, bleeding motorbikes and f- collapsing on stage all the time. He, keep, he just keeps happening to him, where he keeps collapsing on stage. And he doesn't have the energy to get back up. And if he does kind of come to, he finishes the gig lying down on the stage. Like, he essentially, yeah, he essentially loses a year of his life to just drugs and alcohol and being a fucking maniac. Mm. Um, in 1982... Uh, Joe Perry jumps up on stage. He goes to see Aerosmith at a gig, and uh, they know he's there. They ask him up, and he jumps up on stage, and uh, he plays a couple of songs with them. And like, oh my god, this is amazing! And then, oh, the other guitarist, it wasn't the guitarist, <laughs> yeah, career flashing before exactly. his eyes. Oh, so, but I don't think it was even. It was just like a once-off thing. But apparently, like for the first song or so, it was like they're doing real well. Like, and Perry said himself, like, Jesus, maybe this the doors are open again to kind of jump back in because he had his own little solo thing going but while they're doing it uh, Tyler collapses on stage again because he's after being fucking smoking crack or something backstage <laughs> and so Joe was like absolutely not we're not having any of this that was great while it lasted yeah exactly um, things kind of cool off again uh, I think he ends up joining the band again in like 1984 for a while um, Jesus Aerosmith are old as dirt they're mad old they're fucking mad, mad old I think he joins them again and then leaves like we said, again. He, you said like he first left the band in 1979 yeah. I'm like yeah. if you would have said to me like I don't know they formed in 1979 I'd be yeah, like, oh, yeah. early version of the band formed yeah. in no, they, they formed in 1970 that's how fucking old these lads oh are oh my god they were flower power 60s yeah like they're fi- that band is 50 years old you know what I mean that band has been on for 50 fucking years um, uh, Perry goes off he goes to fucking rehab and fucking the whole shebang things going to kill off till 2009 and uh, so Perry's back in the band now at this stage um, they, they figured out a fucking way of doing it so 2009 there's a big South American tour um, about to happen and Tyler just pulls out of the last minute he's like I'm not having this I'm fucking I don't want to go to South America and they say like why do you not want to go to South America and he goes no I'm going to work on like um, the Stephen Tyler brand for a while they're like what do you mean the Stephen Tyler rant because I'm like you know I'm a judge now on fucking America's Got Talent and I want to do solo albums and I think I might want to do a bit of acting and they're like mate it's 2009 like you're old as fucking dork and you're the singer of Aerosmith like what the fuck are you at like <laughs> so the band are almost 100% sure that like this is this is him gone now this is Stephen Tyler is fucking he's ill like he, he he's, he's gone for leave so <clears throat> the band get together and they're like we're going to have to get a new fucking singer so they start approaching people they approach Lenny Kravitz and uh, Lenny Kravitz is like, oh, I don't think I really want to do it. Like, um, I don't think I want to replace fucking, um, I don't think I really want to replace uh, Stephen Tyler. Now, around this time, Tyler <laughs> ends up going back to rehab um, because he gets addicted to painkillers because um, he'd fallen off stage again. He fell off the fucking stage and like smashed up his shoulder or something like that. And he was addicted to super painkillers. So while he is, in fucking rehab for painkillers he sees all these interviews with the band saying like we're gonna have to get ourselves a new singer 
Like, this is just the only yeah. way because he's going to be out for fucking ages. And um, <laughs> and he can't stop loving the drugs. <laughs> exactly. So it looks like Tyler's going to be out for like at least two years and the band want to tour. Like, they need to make fucking money, you know, the houses and shit like that. So Stephen Tyler sends the band a cease and desist letter saying like, you can't be trying to replace me, lads. I'm just like, I'm out on sick leave. Like, I'm out, I'm, 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 I'm sick, like, I'm on a sickie, you can't be replacing me, like, you have to stop doing this and I'm going to sue you all the fucking bits. So the band, they get real fucking pissed off because they can do fuck all. They end up just doing a few other little bits and pieces of their own, um, uh, like, solo bands, like, uh, I think Joe Perry had, I think, a Joe Perry jam band or something like that, or the Joe Perry oh. Connection or something, like, some garbage like that. And there was, to be fair, a couple of times <clears throat> when he was playing, like, Tyler jump up and sing a song or two. Uh, Tyler ends up rejoining the band again um, yeah, Tyler rejoins the band by the end of like 2010 but like fucking the two lads now at this stage have just had enough like 40 years of fucking like acting the bollocks essentially with fucking like Stephen Tyler just being a pain in the bollocks <laughs> and Stephen Tyler jumping in whenever like he thinks it's kind of his, his point system's running a bit low it's like I need a bit of fucking credit here now I'll, I'll do an Aerosmith tour or whatever so <laughs> this fucking mad shit starts happening like fucking there's one just like Perry <laughs> Joe Perry turns around and hits Stephen Toilet with a microphone bursts him open and says it's an accident you know like he's swinging a microphone he hits him with it like a fucking mace I was like, sorry sorry Stephen that was an accident later on fucking um Perry bursts fucking uh, Perry bursts Tyler off stage, pushes him off stage, and fucking like, he, she's well used to getting that jumping exactly, off stage. He keeps fucking knocking him off. Um, it kicked off again in um, 2012. Um, there was an episode of 60 Minutes aired, and it was all about like, the history of um, it was all about the history of Aerosmith, and there was a lot of interviews that had been recorded uh, like real early on in their career. And they were like the lads were saying some not so great stuff about each other. Like right. um so that apparently that kicked off a lot of like real high tensions again. Um so they they kept on like hitting each other on microphones, pushing each other off stage, kicking each other in the hole, not talking to each other, only talking through management, all this kind of shit, you know. The band was essentially being run like a corporation. So um right. uh, last month, August twenty twenty, the rhythm guitarist, a guy called uh, Brad Whif- Whifford, he he gave an interview saying, like, I am I have a massive pain in my hole. It's been fifty years. Um Tyler and Perry have been killing each other for 50 fucking years. And I, I hope to God the band never gets back together again because I'm, I'm sick of it. So it looks like Aerosmith might be, might be knocking on the head because apparently no, they... No, they uh, well, maybe, maybe. But I, I was supposed to go and see them. Yeah, no, uh, they, apparently what they're on, they're on like one of these like four-year-long retirement tours, the never-ending fucking last tour. Kiss-esque yeah. They've been on one of them For a while But with COVID And all this type of shit Your man Like I said The guitarist Now he could He could end up Just fucking off Himself He's, He might just say I've, I've, I've had enough But he said Like like I, I don't care If the band Ever does anything Ever again Because I've been Paying me bollocks Listening to them And uh, I hope I never Fucking it never happens. Somebody just faded into obscurity. But that's that's Aerosmith, and it was uh, St- Stephen Tyler versus Joe Perry. They just haven't liked each other for essentially forty years, really and truly. And uh, mostly oh, because he had been melted with a drug addict band member. Exactly, and he, he uh, he's been clean for a while now. Uh, yeah. Tyler, but but he could be a cunt as well. Though, on top of that, appa- <laughs> apparently he's just like Aerosmith is a means to an end for him to kind of progress his own personal brand and it's like the, the Stephen Tyler thing it's, it's, he wants Stephen Tyler to be the brand yeah. and it, it essentially wants it to be like Stephen Tyler and Aerosmith 
you know, featuring mm. Aerosmith. That's what he wants. Anyway, that, that was Aerosmith. Who's your next one? Uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, they, they hate each other, didn't they? They do not like each other yeah. at all. They were best friends since they were 11 years old. Fuck 11 years old. Um, they started a band when they were 16 called Tom and Jerry. They were, they, they, man, looking at pictures of yeah. that Tom and Jerry band, like obviously black and white because it's 1955 or something yeah. like that. Um, mad looking, mad looking at Tom and Garfunkel back then. So they started out with Tom and Jerry. Had a semi-successful song called Hey School Girl. All the songs flopped after that, so they called it a day in 1958. Mm. Now, apparently, Simon or Gar- Simon Garfunkel, I was with I thought Gar- they were that was one person. <laughs> Honest to God, until I was about 20, I was like, fucking Simon Garfunkel. Simon, Simon, and it's because it's yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Uh, apparently, since then, Garfunkel has never really gotten over that. The Tom mm. and Jerry day. Like, that's mental. Yeah. So, they, Paul Simon went off to try and do his own thing, so did Art Garfunkel. Mm. In 80, 80? In 63, they bumped 1880. 18, 18. Yeah, just that's fucking it. <laughs> not far off. 63, this is when Aerosmith are starting to meet up with yeah. each other. Uh, 63, they bump into each other. And, uh, like, Garfunkel's like, oh, what are you up to? He's like, I'm just doing some songs. He goes, good, listen. So, Simon, Paul Simon plays him um, Sound of Silence, and he's like, yeah. oh, shit, man. Yeah. That's, that's unreal. Can, can like, give a shot. Give a shot. And we did this together. Because Simon was the songwriter. Yeah. And Garfunkel was the singer. He was obviously the better singer. And Paul Simon had a lot of, like, anxiety about his height and his his higher voice and stuff like that he's very small so, wasn't he fucking tiny man yeah, yeah. He, like that was a big thing for him yeah um, and also Garfunkel is massive he is a giant cunt with a big fuzzy <laughs> head big yeah. fuzzy head making him even making him even taller and yeah. so, Paul Simon's got a little flat haircut yeah he's got a mad monk haircut um, jacker yeah. style fucking personality so, in him so they start Simon and Garfunkel in 63 uh, when there was a big, massive interest in folk music, and they put out the Sound of Silence uh, in, with Columbia Records and all, mm. and the, it goes nowhere. The, the album Wednesday morning, three AM, sold really poorly, and they broke up again. Mm. Something happens. I don't know how, but in '65, a new version, maybe the record label went fuck. That's actually a good song. Let's try and put it out again. Mm. They overdubbed it with electric guitars and drums, and it became a massive song. And they released their second album, then Sound of Silence, and that blew up. And this is when, mm. uh, this is when they became like the big Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. That weren't going to break up this time. I swear, swear. Yeah. So, like I said, Paul Simon had issues with his height and stuff like that. He used mm. to suffer a lot from depression because he, the, the rivalry started to grow massively at this stage, and their manager said that the two of them. You, he saw it like literally unfolding. They were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they, he just literally saw it unfolding before his stories. Paul Simon apparently used to hate that people in the crowd thought that Garfunkel had written the songs. Mm. That's mad because he like he's like fuck it. I, I'm the one who wrote them. He's yeah. clearly the better singer. Like yeah. he's the better singer. But I, I'm not having the fact that I just look like the guy playing guitar along with him like that. Yeah, yeah. And on the other side of the coin. Art Garfunkel knew that Paul Simon wrote all the songs and controlled the entire future of yeah, the band. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he just remembers what happened with Tom and Jerry. As soon as Paul Simon calls it quits, it's quits. So yeah. you're living on the edge of that all the time. Yeah. Um, Garfunkel said that when he was asked about Tom and Jerry, he said, I never 
ever forget and I'll never forgive him. I was like, shit, right. So there you go. You said it now. Yeah. Uh, the relationship broke down when they were recording Bridge Over Troubled Water. And But here's the matter. I didn't notice. They, they might have survived that, but they, they're never going to survive this. Uh, that movie, Catch-22, based on the book, uh, the Joseph Heller book, mm. uh, I, I think I've only read half. I'm terrible at fucking reading. I wanted it because Catch-22 is a great book. From what I read of it, it was deadly. But they're making a movie of a Mike Nichols version of it. And they asked Simon and Garfunkel to be in the film. Mm. And uh, Garfunkel was like fourth on the bill because he actually was handy with a bit of acting. And Paul Simon's little role was cut from the film. Um, Paul Simon said he was disappointed for a while, but he got over it because he was still Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. But the problem was they had to recut some scenes with Garfunkel and a cut in, and he chose to do that instead of tour, start oh. the record, recording and touring. Yeah. So then, in the middle of recording, again, Garfunkel goes, I'm doing another film called Carnal Knowledge with Mike Nichols. And Paul Simon's like, here, this is a lot of fucking absolute Yeah, bollocks. yeah. So, I'd, I'd, read something, I'd read something about um, acting. I don't know where the fuck I read it, but about the, yeah. one of them wanting, wanting to do a load more acting and kind of wanting to move into that and kind of fucking up, the, being part of the, the, the oh, dynamic I being know, I didn't know that it was Cash 22, though. I think they remade don't that a while ago, I think, with George Clooney and stuff like that. But mm. uh, it's one of those books I've had for ages and I've mm. never read it. Um, so in 1970, they played their last gig together, shook, their, shook hands in the car park and went their separate ways. Off they went. Yeah. Ten years later, they did a gig together. Though they just did a once off, like you know, mm-hmm. t- ten years. Like yeah, t- they chilled with each other. Uh, so Paul Simon never really said too much about him in the press book. Garfunkel being a little bit like sure, a couple of them would have pot shots at him. Sure, yeah, years. yeah. Um, the the gig in Central Park then in eighty one was massive. There was a half a million people there. Uh, they had a plan to do an album, didn't happen. Mm. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul Simon is quite. He's still five years off Graceland, but he's still doing all right for himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, they reunited in '93. This is fucking great. They reunited in '93 for a series of uh, shows um, in New York. Obviously, that's where they're from. Um, it sold out so quickly that they added 14 more dates. But in the opening night, things started to go shit, like real bad, because um, the reviews came in the next. The next. They, they, they seemed to go well. Mm. But the reviews instantly the next night were saying like hey, Garfunkel kind of like in the back he's not really doing much yeah. and Paul Simon has loads of his friends coming and collaborators coming out and when he read that that's fucking Art Garfunkel just going Oof. fucking bullshit and during the thing Paul Simon forgot his line in the boxer Oof. which made that Art Garfunkel came in at the wrong point and he uh, walked over in the middle of the thing I knew to fuck me up on purpose I'm going to fuck you up on purpose Oof. so then Art Garfunkel came in early on feeling groovy yeah Stop singing actually for a part of it, and then that fucked Paul Simon up. And they were like, When you're pulling that shit on stage oh. at, at that level, yeah, um, yeah, they didn't unacceptable, play, yeah, they didn't play together again. Actually, during that tour, their manager, the business manager of the, either that tour, no, Paul Simon's business manager, hmm. had to take the room between their two separate dressing rooms because Fuck. he honestly believed. One of them was going to come in and kill the other person in the middle. Fuck. Of and that's just a lot of fucking talk. But he might yeah, have yeah. been a knife on the table. One of them would have definitely killed the other person. Yeah, yeah. Things were that bad. Um, the game began in 2003, 2009. But this is when Paul Simon is like, 
I don't really need like I, like I did this and, and I got loads the reason he's doing this because I'm looking at the money they got ch- paid for those gigs a yeah. million a night wow. to do those gigs so he's, he's, he's he doesn't really need Art Guard Funko but yeah. for some reason people still love fucking listening to those songs grand mm. uh, but he's at the point now where he's like I don't want to do it anymore and that's when the bitterness starts coming out in, in Garfunkel saying I think people want this but he doesn't want it he can have his own way yeah it's never happened again but he left a little bit longer trying to get the reunion happening again but then he this is the this is the line that kills it mm. not coming back from this Garfunkel known that Paul Simon had like issues with his height mm. Came out and said, I only got in a band with him because I felt sorry for him because he was tiny. And no, oh. one in no one would be in a band with him. And uh, he says, I only did it for like like an olive branch, like just, to, to, yeah. just so he'd have some friendship. But he said, then uh, I created the monster that is Paul Simon. Paul wow. Simon two years ago announced his retirement from touring. They mm. are never, ever getting back together. We are <laughs> never, ever, ever. Yeah, so yeah. like that's a long-standing thing that Art Garfunkel has been bitter, really, excuse me, bitter about Paul Simon's success because the movies didn't take off. Yeah, and solo career absolutely did not take off because he yeah. can't write songs. Yeah. Paul Simon is a great songwriter, just the way it is. Rivalry, exactly. paranoia, and have a guess what song I chose? Uh, uh, don't know. Bridge over troubled water. Ah, Jesus. Of course. Who's the next one? Uh, my last one. Your last one. Uh, my last one is Guns N' Roses. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. How long now, have we got? Yeah. Now, once again, this is another Beach Boys-esque uh, situation. I'm just going to give you um, a load of little bits, and uh, mm. you're going to have to read one of the fucking several teen books that have been I written know, yeah, about this. Uh, so I picked it back off, bitch, off Usual Illusion 1. Um, it's a great little song. I, actually, I, I used to hate Usual Illusion 1 and prefer 2, and then I, now I'm kind of even Stevens on the two of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I like the two kind of equally. So obviously, I think the two of them are, are good, but messy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing touches fucking appetite. But um, there's just too much. Like it shouldn't have been. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. I, yeah. I think I told the story before. As I wasn't allowed to go to Slane to see them, but I had a mate uh, bring me back a t-shirt, and it was, <laughs> it was half, it was half the usual illusion one. And half usual illusion two, sort of like in a yellow and an orange and the the, yeah. the the blue blue and purple and the screen printing it was so heavy that it tore the nipples up. Yes, like literally, <laughs> like I was only a baby. Was going. I remember, around. you were telling me when you sit yeah. down, like the print would rise up like yeah. on its own. Like, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it hit the, it hit the bottom of the table and rise yeah. up by itself. It was the, the print to the so thick, like it was yeah. shocking. It was like an A four pad. <laughs> stuck to a t-shirt and it was it was so heavy you'd never buy a t-shirt like that now like, buying a t-shirt like that oh, I reckon that got stuck, stuck under the fucking press and just got multiple yeah three, it was got so thick I, I think even my ma still talks about that how much of a cunt that t-shirt was to watch and all because <laughs> <laughs> she kept I kept like crying I mean nipples because like, they were bits lad. they were bits scabs and all on them because I had to wear the t-shirt it was like a real t-shirt you know and you still had problems with that cause of that years later yeah exactly yeah it's secondary problems from the usual illusion uh, t-shirt that tore the nipples out you've got but, um, and roses ink in your nipples exactly yeah, one's orange and one's blue <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, listen, this is Slash versus Axel. Uh, everybody in Guns N' Roses is, is, is a fucking disaster. Um, every one of them should, should have been locked away um, a long time ago. And none of them ever really came out kind of normal. Uh, the closest thing to normal that you'd maybe find out, maybe someone like Slash, um, they, they all just became incredibly uh, boring. 
in their old age, um, none of them kept any sort of edge to them. Uh, at one time, yeah. they're the most dangerous band in the world, and now they're just in danger of dying of fucking old people diseases. Like they didn't keep any killness to them whatsoever. Like, I El- think Duff, Duff was quite a kill. Maybe, but like fucking Elton John is killer than everybody in Guns N' Roses right now. Do you know what I mean? Like he fucking that's an, un, that's an unfair bar to set. <laughs> yeah, like that's like there's ten times more rock and roll than everybody in GNR now. But back in the day. Guns N' Roses were like considered to be the most dangerous band in the world. Like they were, it, they were, it was indescribable what they were fucking up to and what they were doing with each other and other people. Um, so the the grief kind of starts. Um, the proper grief, proper proper grief starts around '96 after the release of the spaghetti incident, and um, there was rumors like down the rounds that like Axel was like fully fucking off the meds. He's having fucking none of this. He's, he's, he wants everybody to sign contracts um, stating that they're kind of employees of Axel Rose and Guns N' Roses. Um, Izzy Stradlin and Stephen Adler are like, I'm fucking out of here. See you later. Uh, Slash That's says... kicking the face, man. Your employees. Exactly. Um, so Slash says the same. He's like, I am fucking out of here. Like I said, he wanted everybody to sign these fucking contracts, um, which would essentially turn them into session musicians. Um, yeah. So... Uh, this is fucking the big thing that starts Axel versus Slash so it's 90, 96 Slash walks away but what really kicks it off is 1991 Slash is asked to perform at Michael Jackson All right. right so Michael Jackson turns around says to Slash do you want to come out and play a couple of these fucking whatever charity gigs or whatever the fuck it is and Slash says nothing to Axel or anybody until the day that he's like shipping out whatever one tour finishes and everybody's going home and Slash says now I'm flying to fucking Atlanta or wherever the fuck it is I am I'm playing with Michael Jackson and Axel loses his fucking mind because Axel he wasn't asked no no not even that Uh, uh, Axel was molested as a child so when all the charges came out about Michael Jackson he wholeheartedly believed them he was like I absolutely but because he'd been fucking fucking kiddie fiddled as a child he just that the one thing that like fucked him up more than anything else he could let anybody away with fucking anything except for abusing children that was like his lion in the sand which should, should be everybody's fucking lion in the sand like but that was the one thing like he didn't care if you're going around stabbing people that's fine just don't mess with fucking children because he'd been molested as a child that was where he, he drew the lion with the fucking the, the well, whatever the whatever fucking uh, whatever slash thought of it of whatever Michael Jackson did or didn't do, he should have sided with him and not done it. Yeah, done pretty it. much. So th- this this even if even this... if he didn't believe it, go look. If that's fucking fucking with your head, I won't do it. Exactly. So uh, that 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 started the whole big fucking thing. Slash went off done the gigs. The whole band came back, and things were never the same. And by '96, mm. Slash had walked away. Now got to the got to the point where fucking after all this. Fucking happened when, and they took the big break. And uh, Jesus, he had um, he started to obviously came out later then with um, uh, the Chinese democracy, which is must be fucking. Yeah. What if you want to hear? Come out? You, I never heard the album. I've never listened to it. Eight or something? I cannot remember. Maybe, no, no, it's gonna be like before that. that. Yeah, it's probably two thousand six. We have a we have a bit of a podcast on that 
Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. With with masked masked bands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's a, there's a whole section on Chinese democracy and that. If you want to listen to that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'd never heard Chinese democracy. I must actually just listen to it someday when I'm walking to town or something. It's just all to, right. Like, just to it hear fast. it. But apparently, like when it's he was 2008, doing actually 2008. There you go. So apparently, when uh, when G and I were doing gigs off the pack of Chinese democracy, and they were doing stuff before that as well with all these hired hands that that Axel had brought in, like he had security um, at the door. Not, like denying entry to people who were wearing t-shirts that had Slash's face on them. Oh, here. Yeah, so if they came in... You, wouldn't, like, you wouldn't have got in with your big giant fucking A4 print. Yeah, exactly. I oh, know you would have. This was, you just had... Oh, you're grand. You just had the album yeah, cover. the album cover. They, they were perfectly fine. But if I had, like, like the appetite or something, like in the cartoon version of Slash, not allowed in. Like, Axel says, oh. you're not allowed to come in um, if you're wearing that. You fucking stop the gig for someone was uh, pointing at... Yeah, someone had just Slash on their T-shirt. Yeah, there was, like was murder over that. Yeah, someone had like a Slash's, a Slash's Snake Pit T-shirt or something like that. He stopped the gig <laughs> going fucking mad, yeah. Um, so it came to light then later that one of the reasons that the Michael Jackson thing wasn't the only thing that fucking... That was... That kind of drove... Axel and Slash kind of the divide even for that. Apparently, there was there was a time I can't remember what fucking year I wrote it down and then I scribbled it out by accident. But there was there was one tour that Axel did not want to do. He was he was in bits. He was meant to be going going to rehab the whole shebang, and he was he was essentially forced into doing this fucking tour by the rest of the band, um, spearheaded by Slash. Slash was like, I've got fucking bills to pay. We have to do this fucking tour. You know, if you ever wanted to be a band again, you're doing this fucking tour. And Axel took that, like, after the tour, Axel took that to mean that, like, essentially Slash was trying to kill Axel because he knew Axel was going to go and fucking drink and drug Bender on this tour. It was just bound to fucking happen. So, oh, so he was like, you're not protecting me. Exactly. So he was like, you tried to fucking kill me. Like, that's, that's what Axel thought. He thought that Slash had kind of got the band together to try and kill him on the road so they could be rid of him because the band had a pain in the bollocks for Axel showing up late to gigs. They, they'd be showing up by fucking whatever, seven o'clock, um, meant to go on stage at half seven, and Axel wouldn't rock up there until like fucking 10 o'clock at night. And this was happening never get all that. the time. They did it in Ireland and, and loads yeah. of places. Yeah. So apparently there was murder over this. Like the rest of the band hated the fact that he'd always arrive late to gigs, like usually three, four hours. Um, so Slash Madani done Velvet Revolver, Axel released Chinese Democracy. Um, so 2009, Axel's quote was saying, like, one of us will have to die before this ever GNR reunion yeah. and uh, obviously there was um, so things can be I put saw, aside I saw, them, I saw them playing for 84 hours in a row <laughs> honestly I saw them at Grasshop a few years ago and yeah. like, you'd want to be a Guns N' Roses mega fan really because like, that was great if you're a monster fan like yeah. I was there with like monster fans and they were like that was amazing they did yeah. that song didn't yeah. expect them but I was just like yeah man I don't think that's that good of a song like, yeah. but that's I'm just tired. weird yeah <laughs> Yeah, fuck yeah. me, that was a long day. Well, apparently what they used to do was, um, what they were doing in the reunion gigs was that, like, Axel's, vo- Axel's voice would get blown out real easy. So they, mm. they'd rely on, like, a big, mad extended solos from Slash for him to get his breath back. Oh, God, yeah, he did. Oh, God. Yeah. So that was a big, like, almost every song had a solo that was, like, four or five times longer than it was meant to be. So, like, and he kept run- doing that. I saw yeah. him live with a fucking... Miles, what's his face? Yeah, and that lad can sing No Water for Hours, yeah. and he still did those still solos. Yeah. And they were awful. Yeah, he's, he's not the greatest. Bad solos. Yeah. And he's my favourite solo fucking guitarist. Yeah, he's, 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 done he's, he's done some of the best ones. He's done some of the best ones. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I always found that like there's, 
half of the GNR stuff, some of the slash solos are real soulful, fucking slick, fucking like yeah. deadly pieces. And then every now and again, there'll be just one in there that's just this fucking like mess. Like not quite Kerry yeah. King mess, but he won that's just a bell, 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 bell. Yeah. like again, come on for fucking too long. Uh, so yeah, the, the, them two lads spent about roughly twenty years not talking to each other. Um, I don't even know whether they're talking to each other now with the reunion gigs. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm sure money they have talks. to be. Money, money is a big talks. fucking factor in this entire yeah. thing. Like, um, and it will continue to be. Uh, like we, we we talked about it with like Rage getting back together again. That there's a couple of these. We said it before on the breakup podcast. There's a couple of these bands I just don't foresee ever getting back together again. Um, yeah, but like obviously enough time had passed for for GNR to say fuck it, let's just bang it out. Like I never thought I'd see a Misfits reunion. I never thought I'd see a, a Guns N' Roses reunion. Uh, Rage Against Machine just didn't even break up. They just kind of dissolved. So that's fifty fifty. But fucking apparently they fucking they don't like each other though. Uh, Morello and they don't like uh, yeah, Zach. Apparently is a cunt. No, nobody likes Zach in the band. Apparently it's a nightmare. He's, I was thinking like it, it's mad, right? There's some bands who have been out of the scene so long. Hmm. Not the lead singers or the lead guitarists. It's usually like the butt drummer, the bassist. Yeah, yeah. And they'd they'd feel fucking pay their money to just feel that again. But yeah. here's the thing: they don't have to. They are getting paid. Yeah. a million quid or something mad to do so they're mad for it and he's just waiting around on the lead singers maybe go yeah okay let's do it yeah. it must be fucking torture I tell you something being someone who's like I don't know who's already gone off to do their own thing uh, solo and are doing grand and don't need it and they're like please do shit so you can come back like fucking misfits whatever yeah all, all these examples oh yeah I was thinking like the the like a, with a lot of these bands where they, they do break up you got like the singer or like you said the, the kind of there's always like a famous guitarist they all inevitably end up doing something to keep them kind of making music yeah. and touring and doing shit but a lot of the poor old drummers and bassists like they must live like a smaller life like they probably have a lovely house do you know what I mean yeah, a lovely apartment but, like, especially if it's, to, not, like, if, it's, if it's not split for like four yeah, six ways exactly. like they probably have they're a definitely, comfortable yeah. they probably have a comfortable life but what they look at like what the singer has and it's like this cunt owns like seven ranches in Idaho and he's got fucking this and a plane and everything. Mm. And I'm here like with the same fucking guitar that's been used for 30 years in me flat. And, he, and his, his chance for a career after the band breaks up is very slim. Million, yeah. No, yeah, it's slim compared to... The, yeah. the, the, like his, his only chance is to get that band back together again and milk out another tour or two. You know, just turn around to the week and say, listen, I'm going to be gone for six months, but I'm going to come back with a couple of million. You can join other big bands as well, but yeah, it can happen that they're... Exactly. Uh, anyway, that was uh, Guns N' Roses. Like I said, you want the real story, the in-depth story, go and buy one of the fucking books or watch uh, one of the documentaries about it. Who was your last one? My last one is the Everly Brothers. I know you've covered them before, but I can't remember was it involving them not liking, not liking each other. Hmm. Phil and Don Everly. Yeah, one of the biggest rock duos in history. It's easy to forget how he, Everly Brothers are. Yeah. Like, I know, we know, like, big but like reading about them like fucking monstrous mm. monstrously successful um yeah w- much like the kinks and oasis uh these were the the, the brothers i think that started mm. off the the here's the bad thing i think find about brothers they don't have to be polite to each other from a very early age. They never mm. were polite to each other. Politeness wasn't ever a thing. They never got introduced as, oh, hello, how are you? Like, it was just automatically fucking remember horrible shit from yeah. when a kid. Now, I don't know how bad their uh, relationship was growing up, but it didn't go well. Mm. Um, in 1973, when they were playing in California, Don Everly 
was smashed out of his mind. Messing up all his guitar parts. Having a a great time. Yeah, having a great time. Living his best life. Forgetting to sing bits, lyrics. Yeah. So Phil decided to take his guitar Mm. and smash it over his head. Smash it over that I really did mid-gig. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> that was 73 so it he, took 10 I wonder if he screamed I bored you while he done it I bored you <laughs> I, lo- I went looking for that you can't find that man mm. that's poxy 73 playing a concert and no one has that because no one has phones I suppose and they just weren't recording yeah. every single gig mm. um, smashed the guitar over his head set on the stage we're over I should mention earlier as well Kinks did a Ray Davies announced mm. on stage they were broken up as well so that was that move but he was fucked off his head like psychologically um, <laughs> not and on drugs yeah and prescription mm. drugs um, in 1984 so yeah 10 years after the head smashed guitar incident they decided to make their first album in, in, in that many years mm. um, and there was there was a guy uh documenting the whole thing and they would come in like he would constantly try and get them to sit down together and they couldn't they mm. couldn't even sit beside each other so they're making an album now bear in mind that could probably actually be done with a good producer so mm. you can sing it but uh, they wouldn't he wouldn't sit beside each other for this 80, 84 thing and just when he thought they'd have them down one of them would leave and that's interviewed him separately really Fuck. that was the kind of first signs of the problems yeah um, uh, then then I think it was Don. Yeah, Don had a nervous breakdown mm. um, when they were on tour. And they gigged up until 2005. Even though they hated each other. They gigged up until 2005. Yeah. Um, and Phil said, he actually said this in 1970, he goes, to be fair, we only ever had one argument, but it lasted 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 2014, I think it was Phil passed away. So that reunion... Is not going to happen. Mm. There's loads more little stuff like that, having digs at each other over the years, but they weren't but, really ones for the press. Really, yeah, there's, there's, it, it seems to be lo- like lo- like most of these that we've covered. Um, there, there's all like I'd say every single band that we have covered. There's like a hundred tiny spats in interviews and digs that like yeah. we can't cover. Like we're giving we're, we're giving the, the the me here, but the 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 fucking the old sprouts and the corn are fucking they're hidden away in in, in interviews. Yeah, like there's a lot more of of the Everly Brothers talk about, but it, it was just I can't make them all mad long ones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think the first the first sign of it like, was the sixties when when like I said Don was addicted to prescription drugs and had to quit the tour, mm. even Phil Everly to do the Everly Brothers yeah. on his own for the rest of the tour. And sometimes you don't forgive. A bandmate over drugs because yeah. it's not it's their fault that's what they would consider exactly yeah. uh, whatever you think about it whatever anyone thinks about it they're like no they, that, that's bullshit that could be avoided you're a mm. week to let that mm. happen and they never forget it that's the Everly Brothers that's the end of our oh the song was Love Hurts Love as well. Hurts and that is the end of our No Love Lost podcast where yes. we talked about bands who didn't get on they doesn't be doing a like upon each other. Um, <laughs> listen, we're back on Saturday with another live show. I don't know whether it's TV or radio. We'll figure it out this week. Um, we'll be back next Monday with another podcast. If you like what we do and you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash lost air podcast. Um, you can go to lost air podcast.com as well. It has all our links and all our bullshit up there. We're on Facebook. Just got Facebook and type in lost air podcast. You'll find us. Um, uh, we're always putting up nonsense up there. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram as well. Um, 
just again it's all just junk um for promoting the podcast but you can do us all a favor by just sharing telling sharing it out telling your mates liking it fucking whatever just the word of mouth is more important now We're, we seem to be right on the cusp of uh uh, the podcast kind of taking the next step up the ladder we're, we're, we're constantly kind of moving up in the charts and doing better and there's more people listening to us um, but we're not seeing that being reflected so do us a favour I know there's loads of you that do thank you very much you're keeping up fucking yeah. solid but there's, there's a fucking shit ton of you bastards at home who are just listening and not doing anything do us a solid just share it that's all you don't have to sign up to the Patreon if you don't want to just share it out Tell your mates, give us an L rate or a view or something on fucking your podcast app. Jesus, honestly, even disagree, with app. even disagree yeah. for fuck's sake. Give out, call us saps, tell us we're wrong, whatever. Do something. Any sort of interaction <laughs> is good. Uh, that's it for this week. We're back again uh, in a week's time with a fresh podcast. See you then. Right.